Hello, and thanks for listening to the first ever episode of the Video Store Junkies podcast, a podcast about movies and the experience of watching them. Before we get started, I have to warn you, this episode is a little rough. Due to some hardware issues on my end that didn't manifest until I went to edit the episode, my audio in particular sounds pretty awful. But we had a good conversation about Mad Max, so I've salvaged what I could and I present it here for your listening pleasure, or lack thereof. If you can bear with the audio issues, I hope you enjoy our discussion. And if you can't, well, check back in two weeks for our next episode. I can guarantee the sound quality will be better, although our banter will probably be just as bad. It's Friday night, so you know there's only one place in town where you'll find us. Renting some beat-up VHS tapes down at the local video store. Tonight, I'm wandering the aisles looking for some film escapism. I don't know exactly what I'm in the mood for. Oh, wait, what? Oh, what's this? Tomorrow, in a world gone mad. (laughs) The only law will be a renegade squad of suicidal cops. He's my prisoner. And the open road will be controlled by gangs of glory roaders. Max is a cop, one of the best. Where does the run to get you? Scoot jockeys? Yeah, no man trash. Mm. Well, I'll add it to my thread collection. That's right. Tonight we're going to be talking about one of the most influential action films of all time, Mad Max. And I'm joined in the video store tonight by a whole slew of fellow film addicts. So let's start by introducing ourselves and talking about our relationship to this movie. Is it something we grew up watching, or are we just watching it for the first time? Paul, since you're easily taken off guard, uh, let's start with you. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I can actually introduce myself? Uh, you can oh. say your name, or you can say an alias, whatever you feel comfortable saying. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, hi. Um, this is uh, Paul Cardillo, Um And uh, let's see. Oh, crap. <laughs> put me on the <laughs> I spot. I didn't need to put there, you on man. the spot. But yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. Uh, so anyway, we'll just jump right into about uh, Mad Max. Um, I remember seeing the commercials when I was a kid, because it was, what, 79? So it would have been about 12. Um and it was like, ooh, look at that movie. And this is um, the first one, Mad Max. And uh, and that just kind of disappeared. It was like, okay. Um, I just remember seeing like people flying off of motorcycles on the commercials. And then when Road Warrior came out, everyone's like, oh my God, Road Warrior is the coolest thing. I'm like, wait, this is a sequel to that other movie. But neither of which I actually watched in the theaters. It wasn't until a couple years later I started watch watch both of them on VHS. Enjoyed them. Um, and then... Uh, you know, and so on, watch the rest of it. But I didn't really watch him again, to be honest, probably till right when Fury Road was coming out. And so I was like, well, uh, I got to show this to my kids who were in their 20s at that point, well, early, late teens. And uh, so I went and got the Blu-rays and, and watched them again and really enjoyed it. And said, well, you know, this, this really matches up with, uh, you know, so it's, it, was, it, was, it was fun. But that's the exciting, my exciting and uh, thrilling take on it. <laughs> cool. Uh, Renee, how about you? Um, you're going to go to me next. <laughs> well, um, I, I know, I, I know Bill's prepared always. So I'm trying to catch the, the rest of you off guard. <laughs> I thought I was going to have a long break <laughs> to think about my thoughts. Um, you know, I did not realize that this was the first Mad Max movie. And, uh, so it was new to me and, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And, uh, I don't want to go too far into it, you know, just for my first mm-hmm. initial thoughts and my, you know, my personal uh, 
my personal relationship with this particular film, I don't really have one. So it's it's brand new to me. Uh, but I enjoyed it. Cool. Uh, and Bill, how about you? So, um, actually, I'm used to having people introduce me. It's weird to do oh, that. Oh, sorry. I so can introduce I'm Bill, you. Bill Mulligan, man about time. I'm Bill Mulligan. I am a high school science teacher and indie filmmaker and podcaster. And I love movies. And I love this one. But my, my real relationship with this movie is I went to see The Road Warrior uh, when it first came out at the theater. And it was practically a religious experience. It was uh, you know, it instantly one of my top 10 favorite movies that I had ever seen. And is probably still lurking up around there. Just amazing. I, I couldn't believe it. And then to find out that there, there was a sequel to another movie, I had to run out. And, and the first chance I got, I think I found a gray market copy of Mad Max at some mafia owned video store, but it was the American dubbed version, which is dreadful. The uh, you know because the Australians speak English, so they had to um, dub them. In fairness, they speak Australian English, which is really hard. I watched it this time with the subtitles and did catch a lot of nuances, like entire you know monologues that I hadn't caught before that actually made sense now. But I, I think it's a great movie. It but it's not the Road Warrior. It's not uh, it, and it's certainly not Fury Road or anything, but it, it's really, to me, it's fascinating as part of the series. And I think the Mad Max series is one of the great achievements in cinema because it, it is the most heroic, you know, the telling of the hero's journey and to watch this character go from being a man to being basically by the last movie, almost godlike. You know, to and to tell those stories in that way is just amazing. So it's definitely essential viewing. And uh, yeah, I'm quite fond of it. It was fun watching it again. Cool. And uh, finally, Alan, how about you? Uh, so my name is Alan Watkins. And my first experience with Mad Max was when I heard the Tina Turner song on the radio back in the 80s. And I thought that was the only <laughs> Mad Max movie until about two weeks ago when we decided to do this. Uh, so, wow. You know, hey, I looked things up and there's like, there's like four of them or something. So, um, so yeah, needless to say, this was my first time watching uh, Mad Max. Cool. Great. Any of them. So great. I'm watching them in order, I guess, because I started with the first oh. one. This is like, this is like recommending Goldfinger to someone and they come back. It's like, man, that James Bond was great. Are there any others like it? <laughs> Well, so so it's actually funny you mentioned that. Uh, so this was actually the third Mad Max movie that I had watched because I remember when I was a kid. First of all, I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies until I was about thirteen or fourteen. I think the first one I saw was Thunderdome, and I probably saw that on you know like network TV on Saturday morning. And then eventually I watched The Road Warrior, which you know, like Bill said, was kind of a, a transcendent film film watching experience. But then I think that because you know, I, I grew up in a small town and we only had like two video stores. So if if the if they didn't have the movie you wanted to watch there, you just didn't get to watch it. So it wasn't until a lot later that I actually found a uh, a copy of of the first movie. And I was very confused when I watched it because watching Thunderdome and Road Warrior mm -hmm. and they're obviously like, you know, high octane post-apocalyptic action films. And then this one, which is a, a, a high octane action film, but it's definitely not post-apocalyptic. It's got, you know, Mad Max in his, in his house being domestic with his wife. And it's just like, wait, wait, what? Yeah. 
it's pre-apocalyptic. It's yeah, pre -apocalyptic. It's pre -apocalyptic. in fact, it's the only pre-apocalyptic movie because although it wasn't when it came out, it just it was what it was. But watching it now, it's like, oh my god, those poor people—they have no idea that this is as good as it's going to get. Because in about five years, it's going to be just like you know, roving bands of rapist cannibals. You yeah. know, you you think it's tough now, but which is uh, one, I was looking for more of that in this. <laughs> of course you were <laughs> because the three sequels uh they yeah. have, a, have plenty of that so yeah before we uh before uh, there's actually a lot of interesting stuff i i didn't know because i actually hadn't watched this movie in i hadn't watched any of the like the original three in like probably about 15 or 20 years so when i rewatched them recently i was just like oh my gosh like rewatching them as an adult was was amazing and uh that's why I kind of wanted to talk about them. And, and so that's why we're doing this right now. So real quick, uh, I think maybe there are, you know, I, I doubt anyone listening to this hasn't actually seen Mad Max. But if for some reason you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, or it's been a while since you've seen the first movie, or, you know, you're like some of the people on here and you didn't realize that there was a first movie. Um, just just real quick, what is Mad Max? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something real quick. I'm going to shotgun through it. So Mad Max is, uh, and I quote, a, a gothic horror story set in australia in the near future urban society is in terminal decay the intercity highways have become a nightmare arena for a strange death game between nomad bikers and a handful of young cops in souped up pursuit cars max is a young cop responsible for the death of a crazed biker known as the knight rider max's lady jesse wants him to quit the road uh i'm, I'm gonna keep going guys i'm sorry uh, a game of the biker <laughs> led by a weird psychopath known as the toker uh uh, chase a young couple into the countryside and tear apart their hot rod in a violent frenzy. Max and his friend Jim Goose come across the aftermath and find one drug-crazed biker left behind called Johnny the Boy. He is released from custody next day on a legal technicality. The Goose is outraged, and he and the boy exchange threats. Later, the Goose dies a terrible death at the hands of the toe-cutter and Johnny the Boy. Max quits the force and opts for the peace of traveling the country road with Jesse and the baby until Chance unwittingly brings them into conflict with the toe-cutter, launching a new era of violence and revenge. Now, there's a reason I read that. So what I just read was actually the synopsis from the back of a, a home wow. video. <laughs> Do they leave anything? <laughs> Which, first of all, I, I don't think the person who wrote this understood their job. No, no. <laughs> clearly didn't know what the word synopsis means. Yeah, that is uh, that is literally the <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, to watch the movie. But yeah, so so I think that's a that's a good summary of the plot. I'm surprised he didn't include music and sound effects while he was at it. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, you're not wrong. Um, no, I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, and I will also note this: I think this is a uh, a British ver scan as of a British VHS tape that I found. And it does uh, it, it does advertise that it features the original Australian dialogue because as as uh, yes. as Bill mentioned, this movie wasn't yes. actually released in the U.S. in the original with the original voices until I think like 2000. And it was it was bad voiceover. It, it sounded to me like somebody who was yeah. auditioning for yeah. well, Batman. The funny thing is, mm. like like That's you really mentioned, like there's a lot of stuff that is is kind of hard to to understand what they're saying, but for the most part, like it, it's not really indecipherable. And they, yeah. you know, they would even change like uh, when someone said like "oi," they would change it to like "hey." As I don't know, very, very needless. No, no, it's not. It's not train <laughs> exactly. spotting, you know, where even the subtitles are hard to understand. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's fine. It's the it's the woman I hadn't really heard understood before what the constant police um, that droning that that woman nineteen eighty four esque just saying you know all the various things that are which and not and not having caught that. That to me, I actually kind of liked because it sort of gave a sense of 
this this is a society kind of collapsing here and and you've got you know they're they're giving edicts over the radio because that's what you do as yeah. it all goes to hell you know and yeah. so it just it did give it a little bit of that uh, australia's beginning to crumble and these are the last people on top of the roof as the helicopters come the other down. thing i picked up from that was so also like that. when when mad when max finally goes mad <laughs> at the end um it, it's the the cops are aware <laughs> that he's gone rogue because she mentions that you know there's a, there's a rogue interceptor and, yeah so i thought you know even that's like oh wow i didn't even like mm-hmm. that didn't even register the first time i saw it yeah so i think that synopsis pretty much named like 90 percent of the characters in the movie but i figured we'd start with kind of going through and, and talking about actors and uh their performances and the characters that they play and just like our thoughts on on all of that so i figured we'd start with i guess the the titular character of uh max played by uh mel gibson Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone heard of this guy before? <laughs> I think he's an up and comer as long as he doesn't like go off the deep end and say crazy things. <laughs> I think he's got a future ahead of him. So yeah, obviously international superstar and uh, unfortunately international psychopath. Uh, Big time Gibson. friend of the Jews, I hear. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> so the, the first thing I actually didn't realize, Mel Gibson, I didn't realize how young he was when he oh was. Oh my God, age. yes. He was 23. Yeah, yeah he was like 22, 23. He hadn't. He's so, so he, young. He had, yeah, he had done one other feature film. Uh, he'd done like a couple of soap operas, but he was pretty much uh, plucked off the street by, I guess, Byron Kennedy and uh, George Miller. So yeah, I don't know. Let's. I mean, obviously, a very iconic character. Obviously, oh, this yeah. is kind of the genesis of uh, a character that would have kind of a, a, a an arc across, you know, four films. But uh, what, you know, what do we think of him? in this movie and and what do we think of you know Gibson's performance well I, I was the one thing that hit me it was it was it was it was very much an origin story very mm-hmm. much like a superhero origin story and watching it because it takes it, it it's takes its time to set up who he is and his mm-hmm. motivations it I was wondering and, and maybe there's some information about this whether or not they they planned from the get-go that there would be several films after this or if this was just going to be you know we're just doing a one-off exploitation One film. yeah and because it feels very much like you could watch this as your second or third or fourth film and go back and go oh cool that's his motivation oh that's the secret you know it's like right it's you know watching the, a secret origin story and and i thought he carried it off well because like you said he's he's just like he seems like a normal nice guy and mm-hmm you can you can see that change in him and i think it it works really well i mean i think i i I gotta suspect that they they didn't plan on this uh, on this being part of a series and if they did they probably didn't imagine that the next one would be such a quantum leap and epicness uh, oh yeah yeah over this yeah Yeah, but it just it just happened to work out really well that way and and, you know we're talking what it was just two years later that the road warrior came out though so they must have and i know mad max was a huge hit everywhere except for the united states Right. Yeah. That's why that's why it was just the Road Warrior when they released it here for the second one, as opposed to Mad Max 2. Right. Road Warrior, right. right. So. so, yeah. And I don't think like in conceiving of this character, I don't think that they really thought of it as, you know, a franchise character. I mean, keep in mind. So just a little background of the movie. I mean, this was like a very, very indie film, you know, George Miller and who directed it and Byron Kennedy, who produced it and. They, they worked on the story for like, I think four or five years. And they were actually like doctors basically who were just kind of cinemaphiles and decided that they wanted to make a movie. So they had, this was something they had, they had, I guess, kind of worked on 
developing for years, but I don't think it was a, you know, they weren't professional filmmakers and it wasn't something that they were thinking of as, you know, a franchise multi uh, film art character. Yeah. It just, it, it just, it worked out well though. <laughs> yeah. Because the character eventually becomes very like, by the time we hit Fury Road, the character is yeah. very much a mythic character. Like oh, he yeah. could be, he could have no background. He could have, you know, it's like, what's his mysterious background? Well, we hear it. We see it exactly what it is. Um, and he's just, he's just a man. He's just yeah. a, a regular man, which they do at the beginning of Road Warrior, you know, Max the man. And, and he really was just, I mean, a good, a good cop, a good driver, but there was nothing special about him, you know, in, in a, beyond being good at his job. You know, he, he could be just as easily Dirty Harry or something. And by the end of Road Warrior, he's gone from the hero to the legend. I, I'd argue by the end of Beyond Thunderdome, he's now kind of approaching almost like myth, where the children are speaking of this character in the past. He's become like a Paul Bunyan character. And then Fury Road has, you know, the only movie that has more allusions to uh, Jesus is uh, The Passion of the Christ. I mean, <laughs> incidentally. Incidentally. Yeah. And, and, you know, let's, let's give Gibson his credit. I mean, look, he's a madman. But he's a genius. He his he is a great director. Apocalypto is an amazing movie. Um, the Passion is an amazing movie. And and the balls that it would take. Can anyone else? You go to a studio. It's like I'd like to spend an incredible amount of money money to make a movie about Jesus. And like, okay, yeah, he's pretty popular. His books sold a lot. Um, and and <laughs> I'm gonna do it in the original Aramaic language. You're like, what? Does anyone still speak that? No, but that's what Jesus would have done. And, uh, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, he would speak in, Arab, in, in Aramaic. And, you know, like, they're like, that's insane. It's incredibly insane, but brilliantly made. Um, also created the Tinsley transfer to show all the scarring and everything on the back. So we owe a lot of good special effects to that movie because it's brutal. Uh, Braveheart, ripping yarn. Okay, is it historically accurate? No. Who gives a rat's ass? It's a great, it's a fun story. He's really good at this, and he plays great characters. Now, is would I want my sister to marry him? <laughs> yeah, but okay. <laughs> but you know, only because I'd get so much cool stuff out of it, and probably get to go to shows and things and fly around. But you know, but no, no, I really wouldn't. I mean, he seems pretty unstable. Um, but you know, you wouldn't know it from this. Uh, he's he's a good actor. He's not given a whole lot to do, except look impressive and and you know show some pain and everything but i thought he actually kind of underplayed the role you know um yeah. compared to compared to the way he is in the other I, I think he really grew as an actor very quickly i mean it was just a couple of years later a year later he's doing gallipoli yeah and then yeah. uh you're living dangerously too right yeah and and you know again if you if you can overlook his personal issues his personal demons he is a good actor he really yeah. is. He he plays a wide variety, and and in some sense, kind of fell into cliche with the with the lethal weapon movies. You know, starts kind of doing shtick and everything. But I mean, those movies combined probably made about a trillion dollars. So I guess it's pretty good shtick. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's funny that you mentioned you know not being a whole lot to to not being given a whole lot to work with because I think that you know as much as I love this movie and I love the script and everything, the characters are definitely not the the best drawn. Um, so mm -hmm. I think that the the, the movie real uh, kind of leans on the the skill of the actors a whole lot, and I th I think as a leading man, I think he he man you know he definitely has uh, he displays the charisma that made him a superstar in this movie, and that that kind of helps carry the character. 
I don't know, Renee, Alan, I know the, the three of us uh, have been doing a lot of talking. Do you guys blah, blah, have blah, any, blah, 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 blah. Any, no. any thoughts on, on Gibson or Max? Um, I was just going to say I appreciated in the beginning that, you know, they had a lot of peaks of him. You were seeing him from behind or from a, a side mm. angle. And you never got a full shot of his face till about 12 minutes in. Um, and I really kind of appreciated the buildup they did. Um, mm. And total speculation, uh, I have no reason to know anything about this but i think they did plan for sequels <laughs> well yeah there, well there's when we get to the uh, to the, the the kind of like the screenwriting i guess portion there is some interesting stuff i read about that um this is definitely not the movie that they originally wanted uh i think to make and uh apparently george miller was was lucky that it did so well because he actually hated the movie and basically kind of thought as road warrior as a as a do-over yeah but uh and, and i do yeah you i you mentioned that the the intro i love the fact that the really it's it's played as like a really badass intro um yeah. but it, it's just him fixing his car he's like, <laughs> sir, he's like doing some road service on his on his uh interceptor while this with this car chase is going on but but yeah i do love that that intro and and the uh the the, the music beats where it's like done yeah it was great the music, the music is is a little over the top. Oh, oh, very much. We'll, we'll talk <laughs> I mean, about keep that. Keep in too. mind, it it it, it, is an ex, it is an exploitation film. I mean, yes. all in all, it's a low budget action exploitation. I mean, it opens with two people having sex in the middle of the grass, or for nothing. Uh, yeah. Paul, it is an exploitation film. Sorry, Oz- yes, exploitation <laughs> film. Yeah, exploitation. Oz- uh, yeah. Uh, no, it actually is, and 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 Brian May, the guy who did the music, uh, he also yeah. did the music for the Road Warrior. But he had worked a lot of other uh, Australian movies and a lot of other exploitation uh, movies that are that are pretty great. And the, the other kind of interesting thing about him is he definitely doesn't start like uh, I think someone mentioned that you know you see his his character arc, um, and he definitely doesn't start off as you, you know if anything like Goose is kind of like the the loose yeah. cannon on the force. I, right. I think the, yeah, it's true. Yeah, like like Goose is the one, you know, Max is holding Goose back, right? Like uh and and I think that like the the if there's anything that's overplayed that I wish that they would have changed was the fact that they they do kind of play him at, uh, they play him up as the the ultimate badass, not necessarily on screen. You do see him kind of like, you know, obviously eventually uh get the night rider in the first kind of chase. But th- there are all these, you know, they 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 have the when he comes in, they have the V interceptor and uh, you find out that it was basically they, they were going to give it to him to like bribe him to stay on the force. And he yeah. keeps trying to quit. And the, you know, the chief Fifi is like, oh, no, you know, you got to stay. But I thought that was kind of funny because ultimately, like, he doesn't really do like, if anything, no, seems like the real badass. No, he chases a couple guy on motorcycles. Uh, the, the one the one badass thing he does is get, you know, get in the game of chicken with the Knight Rider and uh, the Knight Rider chickens out. Yeah. But that just makes him crazy. Not a particularly good cop. I mean, you can only do that so many times before you, you know, play a game with someone who's just as nuts as you are and you both die in a head-on crash. So we didn't see him do amazing stunts or uh, amazing things or anything. Not, not to the degree that we see. I mean, by the time of Thunderdome, he's flying through the air on giant rubber bands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe the reason he was so high was because he was, he was just good and straight to the books and, mm-hmm. and they could count on him not being a loose cannon i don't know hey alan you've been quiet this is the first yeah i was gonna say yeah. You know, oh yeah i was just gathering all my thoughts about you know, <laughs> well, a big basket no, so, i mean so my thoughts on mel gibson you know this was 
I don't know if, if you consider this sort of his breakout film. Oh, this, yeah, this is this is one hundred percent the film that like really like led him yeah. on the path of stardom. Uh, like like because, uh, I mean, like Bill said. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. No, real real quick, one other thing. Uh, what like Bill said, uh, this this movie was actually like it was an indie film, but it made like a hundred million dollars worldwide. It was a it was a massive hit. Um, it actually for like twenty years held the record of being like the most profitable film ever. So yeah, wow. this this was definitely the the thing that made him like a, an international star. But uh, sorry, so go ahead, Alan. Well, no, what I was saying is like if 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 I didn't know who he was, and you said, okay, look at all the people in this film, and tell me who you think is going to be a big star. I mean, he would have probably had less of a percentage than someone else. You know, I mean, oh, it really? just doesn't seem like you know. Well, you know, you hear about people how they 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 do the you know it's it's their first big big movie movie or whatever and they just they just knock it out of the park it's like oh my gosh we have to see them in another film i didn't get that from mm. mel gibson in this film um i see what you're saying mm-hmm. now the other thing about mel gibson okay and maybe you guys can answer this because me and the person i was watching this with we were discussing this um what what do you say mel gibson is do you say he's american or australian He's Australian. Uh, uh, he, technically, he is an American. He is American-born. Uh, he was actually born in New York, but he moved to Australia, I think, when he was like, you know, in a kid. So he is. He 12. is. Uh, and he, yeah, yeah. He, he does. Well, I, I always thought he was born in Australia, moved to U.S., and then no, went no, back no. to Australia when he. No. Died. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that this is it's funny because this is exactly the discussion we had. I'm like, hey, he's Australian. He's like, no, he's American. So anyway, he's an American who sounds Australia. So he could. Well, I looked it up. He, he had already to Australia lost when he was twelve. So yeah. But I had seen him do interviews, and he spoke with an Australian accent. And my friend said, "Oh, yeah. he was just faking it." He's like, "Listen to yeah, one of like some other interview, and it, it, it's true. If you look at other interviews, sometimes he speaks English, and sometimes it's Australian. So I have no idea. I just know that if like most people, if they stay somewhere until they are twelve, they would sort of." you know, retain their accent. So I have no idea. We may even have to ask him what he considers himself. <laughs> we'll get him yeah, out of here. I mean, 12 years old. I don't know. I would think that you would have the American accent. Well, I, you know, the thing is, apparently American accents are pretty easy to pull off because they keep having these, you know, the guy who plays like Rick on Walking Dead, he sounds totally American on the show, but then you hear an interview, he sounds like Henry Higgins. I mean, you know, so yeah, yeah. apparently English people, people from, you know, British people can really fake us very well whereas when we fake them we sound like you know monty python or something oh when i was in college there was we we had these english people that worked at the radio station and i would always try to imitate them and i asked the girl i said so tell me truly how is my english accent do i sound like an english person and she said in the you know the the greatest english accent ever she's like actually you sound like a gay english person and I was like, huh. okay, I stopped huh. with the English there accent. You so, you yeah, found your pitch. Long... There you go. <laughs> well, I, I think um, actually with probably with him, it's a little bit of what they call code switching. So, I mean, people do that anyway. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you find sometimes depending on who you're talking to, you're, you can switch, you can just not, not a heavy or not intentional, but very slowly slide into it. Like I know that when I go to our our, our local garage, which is, a, it's a very country garage and, and I, I kind of slide my 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 language kind of slides a little bit more into a more of a country tone, even though I grew up in Maryland, right? And then most of the time I'm talking, it's mid you know mid Atlantic states. But every when you say garage, do you mean like you know, give me one of them their Johnson rods? 
Well, I don't really say that to him, but yeah. Is yeah. a garage, like a car garage? Yes, a car, car garage, mechanic, <laughs> or mechanic. Yeah. So. No, I get so what you're you, saying. You, yeah, yeah, so you, 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 it could very well be that, you know, you know, he, whatever he talks, when he talks normally, it just depends. You know, in different people, you when you're talking to different people, you will find yeah. that you, you kind of tell your tailor your speech sometimes to who you know who you're talking yeah to. it's like if i'm talking to someone else who's from new york i tend to talk faster and use big words so they don't think i'm from north carolina <laughs> and, and i i, I have send watched... your letters to bill mulligan care of yeah <laughs> i have watched interviews with him from like the early 80s and he definitely has the accent so maybe yeah. i don't know maybe you know he moved out to hollywood in the mid 80s or whatever and lost it eventually or mm -hmm. You know, maybe he he just like tried to drop it intentionally, so he was right. like he didn't want to keep doing that. Well, to, to be honest, the only time I had seen Mel Gibson outside of a movie was I think he hosted Saturday Night Live like back in the eighties, mm. and he spoke with an Australian accent. So I was basing everything I knew about him on that. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, so so you oh, you said outside of the movies though, not outside of this. Right, right, because okay. I know in the movies, you know, yeah, he does normally an American accent. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, no, That's I, I think money is. Yeah, my my guess, I mean, at the time he was considered an Australian actor too, so it wasn't like he was uh, an American actor or an American that had moved to Australia. He grew up there, so I think he was kind of considered uh, Australian by the time. I mean, he most moved Australian there. actors can probably trace their ancestry back to not Australia without having to go too far back. <laughs> Well, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. That's this good. did start the Mel Gibson gets hurt stuff with his knee getting blown off. He does he does get injured a lot. I mean, South Park made great fun of that, that Mel Gibson tends to get tortured in his movies. Oh yeah. And uh, once you're aware of it, it does kind of crop up a lot. Oh, uh, what were we gonna say, Alan? I was just gonna say, like I was writing things down as you know, as you guys were talking about him, so I was gonna bring him oh. up the oh, um, yeah. Bill had mentioned about just other movies that he had directed and stuff and the, the Passion of the Christ. I remember when I watched that, I thought it was the dumbest thing ever. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're gonna they're gonna speak in Aramaic. Nobody's gonna understand it. It's all gonna be in subtitles. And then after I watched it, I'm like, you know, that actually worked really well. It didn't really have to be Aramaic. They could have spoken in any language that I didn't understand, and I would have gotten the same thing out of the dialogue. But when someone speaks in a foreign language, it almost for me at least, it it avoids me associating their voice with that, with the character. In this case, you know, like real, real people. So, um, well, I, I can't pronounce his last name. Was it Jim Kaziel? It, it uh, whoever Jim plays Cavizio. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Jim Kaziel. Oh wow! It it avoided me associating his voice with Jesus. In, in like, hmm. you know, in life. Huh. Because it, it, it's not something that I understand. I mean, but if 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 he would have spoken American or whatever they would do, I don't know. You you would. I mean, you you associate, especially if that was somebody's first, I don't know, introduction. You know, to to biblical characters, you would associate that voice with that person, kind of like the way we all associate, you know, Moses with like this deep voiced guy with a long, you know, a long white beard. Yeah. When you know, in reality, who knows what Moses sounded like. Well, I think it was a brilliant move because I think the fundamental problem with playing Jesus is what should his accent sound like? What is God's accent? And, you know, usually it would be he kind of speaks with a British accent because we associate that with acting and, and, and you know, being smart. 
but it, that that seems kind of you know it always bothered me when I'm watching a World War II movie and the Germans are speaking English with a German accent. And you're like, well, okay, yeah. I guess that kind of makes <laughs> sense them being German, but not as much sense as them actually speaking German. You know, they're yeah. speaking perfect British English with a slight German tinge. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't take me entirely out of the movie, but I like it better now when they when they now that there's been more of an effort of uh, using subtitles well and making it so that we can actually read them. So yeah. uh, all, all I know is I've only watched uh, Passion of the Christ without subtitles, and uh, I still oh. have no idea what that movie's about. Um, <laughs> really? So someone can explain, can explain the plot to you? <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, uh, if we don't have any other thoughts uh, right now on, on on Old Mel, I think we can move on. Speaking of his his kind of domestic, happy domestic life, we have uh, his wife, Jessie, played by Joanne uh, Samuel. Samuel, I think. Never been in anything else I've ever seen. She's... Uh, hmm. Like many of the uh, other actors in this movie, she she was Australian. Obviously, she she has a lot of credits. In fact, she had more credits than uh, she had more like screen acting experience than Mel Gibson did when the movie was made. But I don't think she ever really broke out of like Australian TV and film. I don't know what what do we what do you guys think about her performance? I thought it was a nice natural performance. She was likable without. She's not a, a bombshell. You know, I like I like it when they they cast people who don't have necessarily movie star gorgeous looks, but they, they, they're good looking people, you know, the, the, making a nice contrast to the other people. One thing I like about Australian movies, they're kind of like the Serge Leone spaghetti Westerns, not at all afraid to cast really unusually looking people to play small roles. If there's a guy at the train station, who's going to take the tickets, he's going to be a character. He's going to be someone, a face for radio you know good good stuff but I, I thought she was she was very nice it was believable they were a likable couple they were a likable couple like the, the scene where they're yeah. just we're just like seeing them saying sweet things to each other and everything it seemed believable it didn't seem forced so is she a drop dead bombshell no but i think she's a very attractive woman i think she gave a very good performance and so you felt bad when um something bad happened to her and that's that's that was basically her role, I guess, was to be in peril. No, I mean, um, what I'm interested in is because, you know, I've seen this number of times and pretty much knew what her fate was going to be. So I watched her performance just sort of with with that in mind and, and only kind of took her in again as she was there to be eventually be a victim, even though she she like knees toe cutter and gets away from mm -hmm. him. And, and she, you know, she 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 handles herself well and. She's got a she's she's in the movie for, you know, two thirds of the movie, three quarters of the movie. So I'm curious in terms of uh, Renee and Alan, what like how you perceived her, because because um, Zach, Bill and I have all all kind of knew what her fate was yeah. and watched it with going, well, she's you know destined to be run over. So <laughs> I was you know wondering what, what if you guys like in terms of her performance or or anything like that. I, yeah, I agree with Bill. It, was, it seemed very natural. Um, it was a little awkward in the beginning with the saxophone solo that oh, really I was gonna say, that was the best part of the character <laughs> yeah um yeah i really i really enjoyed the scene with the ice cream cone with toe cutter that was really great <laughs> um, yeah it was it was a really natural performance i if i can can you know i was a little bit more slightly attached to her than i was the baby if we want to make the baby an extension of her 
Mm-hmm. I don't know what was up with that kid. It was there, then it wasn't well, there. Grog. Grog <laughs> was yeah. the big. I, I was literally yeah. uh, that. I wasn't gonna mention him, but since you bring it up, yeah, many scenes with them together, like frolicking in the fields or or swimming in the river. Where's the goddamn baby? I, yes. I yeah, yeah. Well, back when the baby goes missing, that's the thing. It's just like she had been swimming for a long time, and like, yeah. was anybody watching Sprog? And I really regret the fact that I did not name either of my two sons. Oh, <laughs> there's still time. I think I, I missed that. Yeah. I, That's why your kids still that, love you. Know. You didn't do that. <laughs> well, maybe maybe if I can get grandbabies, I can convince them. Oh, yeah. Respond. I hope they're listening so they know not to ask you now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then by the end, I was screaming at the screen. Um, and then that happened. And I was like, well, I'm sorry, but come on. You're running right down the middle of the road. What are you doing? So, Also, I'm not really clear what exactly they did. Because if if someone's running down the road and you're on a motorcycle and you hit them head on, you're both going down. You would think. You know, motorcycles are not like those things that you use to flatten pavement. I mean, they're... But it was very effective. I mean, it was a great shot. If you Obviously, they didn't have the money to actually... You know, it's iconic. Yeah, you know, the shoe going off. I mean, oh my God, that's just so... That's like in any movie when you see some little kid holding a doll. It's like, oh God, something bad's going to happen and we're going to see that doll lying in the rubble with maybe a little bit of blood on it or something. But yeah, really well. That was really well done. I also also love the part with the The baby was actually like playing with his gun at one point. When they're in the house... The That's baby the has like the There's gun one like shot playing. where they cut away to the baby with a revolver. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, probably I, how a lot of Australians get shot, raised. Because I was like, yeah, I was like, I said, is the baby playing with a gun? <laughs> and I, you know, they don't really, don't really like do it anymore. But I was like, well, maybe it was a toy gun, but it really looked. Real. I think it was. Some, and uh, it was uh, yeah, let's not get our anyway, pants in a wad. The safety was on. Okay, come on. <laughs> well, no. actually, you know, speaking of of, of Jesse, the character. I forgot that she actually survives. I mean, not yes. very well, but that, that's-, that, that's actually something else I was I was going to bring up. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of interesting for a film franchise that you know George Miller obviously uh, cared about continuity. There's there's a weird relationship between the films in the sense that sometimes it's kind of hard to figure out like you know, uh, how, how long, how far apart they are, right. um, where the character's been in between. But he does care about continuity, obviously. Like, in the in the beginning of, you know, in The Road Warrior, he has a leg brace from where he got shot. Um, but yeah, no, I, I forgot, because, yeah, she's still alive, and she's she never survived. mentioned again. Well, I'm thinking, if they were planning a sequel, if they were thinking far enough ahead that there would be a sequel, it would kind of make sense that the sequel would be him taking care of his crippled wife, they're living through this tragedy, and in death wish form something comes back you know maybe the remain the, they only killed a couple of the gang members so there's a whole gang out there that might be looking for revenge oh, and apparently the continent of australia is not big enough for these people not to run into each other repeatedly over yeah. and over again so you know that yeah. probably would have been the way to go but luckily this made, movie made so much money they came back and gave him a bucket load of it and say what can you make with this and we got the road war yeah, my, my theory is she got major reconstructive surgery and uh, became the humongous in Road Warrior. Ooh, but that's just a fan theory. Wow. <laughs> no, it's uh, head I, cannon now. That's yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I actually really the like only the only thing that I even remember uh, the only thing I even remember about her characters. I mean, she was she was playing the one again. I I, I thought that her role she didn't really have a whole lot to work with. We were just 
you know, sort of following him around is what Bill just said. The main scene that I remember is, hey, he's going to the store. It's like a mile away and the gang's there. It's like, is this Australia or is it just like a little island? <laughs> go very far afield for their vacation. Maybe they yeah. just kind of, you know, went went down, you know, it went, to, you know, to local locally so no I, I think that's one point that's probably like one of the laziest parts of the, yeah. the plot but uh i think it's i think i kind of overlook it just because i don't know you know thematically they are kind of you know it's it's the the roads are dangerous and the the gangs are everywhere and uh you can't you're nowhere is safe but yeah i i, I actually they were really kind of following it but yeah yeah no that's what that's maybe what, they were looking for him, but they, they didn't make that yeah. clear but no i i actually really liked her performance uh i think you know like other people have pointed out she's there's not a whole lot to the character i think she does a really you know good job with what she has i think she has good chemistry with mel gibson i think she has a couple of good beats uh you know the the scene where she's in the the woods is is probably you know there's there's not a whole lot of tension in this movie there's not a whole lot of suspense mm-hmm. but that that scene is is very suspenseful um, just the whole sequence where she's going down to the the beach, and you don't know you, you know that they're gonna get her, but you don't know when. And then I think the the I don't know the the one moment that always sticks with me is when she they get her back to the house, and you know she's sitting down on the couch, and there's like a beat there where it's like 15 or 20 seconds, yeah. and it's just very quiet, and she's relaxing, she's settling down, and then all of a sudden she pops up, and yeah, she remembers that uh, you know the kids still she has a baby. Yeah, yeah, I was a little odd. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, she's in shock, and you know the, the the baby could protect himself. The baby has a gun. He does have a gun. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, uh, if if no one else has any thoughts on uh, on her, uh, I think we can move on to one of my personal favorites, Jim Goose, uh, played by Steve Beasley. Now, interestingly enough, he was he was actually Steve Beasley was actually I guess friends or an acquaintance of Mel Gibson. Gibson had been in one other movie. He, he had one other uh, feature film credit called Summer City, uh, which also starred Steve Beasley. And I think they may have like auditioned kind of for this movie, uh, not together, but I think they both kind of went in together for, for, for their roles. Mm-hmm. I have a lot. I have a lot of thoughts on Goose, but I don't know what. One of you guys want to kick us off? He's he's. Well, let me let me talk since I'm back and I make it oh, prompt at any point. Perfect. <laughs> Go for it. But yeah, Goose was by far the most entertaining character to me. You know, we talked about who did you think was going to have, you know, a, a lot of success after this. I would have probably chose that character just because he was my favorite character. I, mean, I liked when he, um, you know, he got run off the road with his motorcycle and that guy was there and he borrowed his truck, like his old beat up like, and almost wrecks. And it doesn't even go a mile on it and gets run. I think uh, I think we're losing you, Alan. Yeah. Well, uh, Alan, we'll see if, if, if you can get back in, but... Uh... Yeah, anyone else have, have thoughts but on it? Good points, you? Alan, the ones we could hear. Yeah. yeah. It was like Passion of the Christ. I didn't understand it, but I kind of knew. <laughs> you got the gist of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but, but I like, think what he was saying like, was true. Yeah. No, go, I go ahead. Enjoyed, I'm sorry. I enjoyed Goose. I think what, you know, his character obviously was great. He was very enjoyable. And it reminded me a lot of another Goose that we might all know and love. <laughs> oh. is that their destiny. Yeah, but you know, best friend, blonde hair, tragic ending. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh wait, who who are you? Who are you thinking about? You're not. Oh my god! Wow. Top wow. Gun. Oh, sorry. Goose. Sorry. Right, no. Yeah. Okay. I'm I haven't even out. seen the I'm movie, back. and I knew that. I'm back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's sad. Um, no, I no, I, I agree. He was he was Yay. fun. Yay. He, yeah, he was it. he was fun, and and he had a lot of personality, and I would have liked to have seen more they should have made this more of a buddy picture where mm. one of the buddies gets taken out 
and Goose is trying to get him to, you know, stay on the force because they're having a lot of fun together and Goose seems to be enjoying life. And then that makes what happens to him all the more tragic. And I remember the first time I saw this, the scene where he goes in the hospital really kind of, that hit me hard um, because yeah, I've worked in VA hospitals and stuff and the burn ward, uh, if you want to find out if you have a soul, just sort of walk around the burn ward and then, you know, go someplace and weep for a bit. And uh, yeah, it's, it's brutal. So, you, you know, they, they were, they were subtle what they showed and everything. Somehow I remembered as seeing more that like there was a flash or something, a subliminal flash of seeing a really messed up face, but the hand was enough, I guess. And yeah, but I mean, um, I think that speaks to actually how it was shot is that you remember, you remember yeah. seeing that when it wasn't right. there. That's like all the people who swear they saw Rosemary's baby when they never showed it, you know? Yeah. That, that, that's another interesting thing going back and watching this movie. Like we were talking about the scene where, where Jesse dies. Uh, and then, yeah, the scene with the goose that for, for a film that is kind of regarded as a very violent uh, and somewhat nasty movie. This is actually, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of car action, but in terms of mm -hmm. like, gore and like damage to like people being shown on screen, uh, there's actually very little of it. I think you see, you know, you see Mel Gibson's leg get shot, but yeah. that's probably the most violent thing that actually. And that, and that makes it more shocking in a way. Or, and here's here's a movie that probably doesn't get compared to Mad Max a lot, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. Yeah, oh, absolutely. When you yeah. when you see it, you realize, oh my god, I heard this was the goriest, bloodiest, nastiest thing ever. And the the, the single bloodiest scene in the movie is when a guy like cuts his thumb. You know, or, or there yeah. is a scene where a guy drops a chainsaw on his leg, and and that's the only bit. Everything else is with suggestion, and I don't want to sound like and in my day we had a little thing called suspense, but but really the power of suggestion can be really well done if it's done if it's done well. But of course, nowadays people kind of demand um, more, and yeah. and they tend to get it. But yeah, it's not very bloody. Oh, even even to the point of when the the couple in the hot rod get attacked, yes. and mm -hmm. and they grab and they grab the woman, and very clearly. She is going to be. She was sexually assaulted. You can tell, yeah. but they don't show it. They they cut to they the the, after the crow or the, the raven, and then and that's it. And it's it's you know what happened. There's no reason to show right. it. Um, I'm not a prude or anything, but it was actually it was really well done because it was like, look, yeah. we've made our point. Right, right. You can when you see how she is, you can imagine how many bad things happened to her. You don't have to see them all. Then it just becomes gratuitous. And, and kind of nasty to watch. It doesn't. You don't need to be beaten over the head with it. And you're. And also, you're seeing it the way the cops see it. You're seeing the way they come in and they see the aftermath and make the same assumptions you do. And and so it makes you angry that these people get away with it. It's funny too because you mentioned you know working in a burn ward and and actually seeing that sort of thing in real life. Uh, but you know, like I said, George Miller and Byron Kennedy that were doctors. They had. They had seen uh, a lot of this stuff and, you know, they were even up to the point where they were raising money for the film. They were working uh, as like van medics. So I'm sure that they were seeing a ton of stuff like on the road that was just horrific. Um, but ultimately, like that wasn't what they were interested in dwelling on or showing. And uh, yeah, I, th I think it I think the the movie, it, it stands the test of time in the term in, in the sense that it's it's not as exploitative as it could be. And when you watch it now, it doesn't feel like you're, you know, you're, you're kind of a, a voyeur into something that you don't want to be watching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but anyways g- getting back to uh getting back to goose yeah i love the goose uh <laughs> definitely one of my favorite characters some of his lines uh, i think you know when he first shows up and he 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 uh he's on the bike and he kind of slides into the motor home almost hits it and then you know the guy's like what's going on and he's like i don't know i just got here myself uh, i don't know he's, 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 got a, <laughs> yeah. he's hilarious he's got uh i think he, he had been a little bit more of a, a seasoned screen actor than mel gibson too at that point so um, he had a little more experience, but yeah, dude, I, I just, I love him. I love him so much. I'm trying to think there are a couple other uh, scenes that now I'm not, aren't coming to mind, but oh yeah, the, the, uh, the scene where he, where they do find the couple and they find the girl in, in the, in the car and he just, you know, he's, he's trying to, mm-hmm. uh, he's trying to approach her and he's just like, uh, you know, I, I'm Jim Goose and I'm here to help. And he's just, I don't know. There's something mm-hmm. very reassuring about his character. He is like, kind of a hard badass you know when he's he's trying to attack the johnny the boy and obviously he's not afraid to tussle but he's there is kind of a soft side to him yeah who played the the station chief uh what what was his character's name oh yeah no i think he was uh just called the the station master uh was played by an actor named uh reg evans who i think had uh i didn't put him on here uh he's kind of a minor role we we can also talk about you know anyone else but uh he's like you were saying, he's definitely, um, I think the term is casting mugs. And I don't even know if that's what he was doing here, but um, he, yeah, he's, he's one of those characters that has a very unique look. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it just, I just had the feeling when I'm watching him, I'm thinking this is like, this is like who Lord Humongous was before everything went to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You know, Uh, like I always kind of felt that, that Lord Humongous had to have an interesting backstory. And uh, maybe he was a cop, you know, he's, he's, he and Max just seem to be on the, on the same wavelength that that's how, what Max could have become. Yeah. He went well, a different I, and direction. I kind of want to talk, yeah, I kind of want to talk when we get, I've kind of broken it up here through like uh, the kind of protagonists and villains, but I want to talk about that a little more. Uh, Cause that's, that's a very interesting, like his, his villains are almost more yeah. interesting and better written than his heroes. Oh um, yeah. So yeah, someone else, uh, I didn't actually. Uh, I think I skipped him on, on the list I sent you guys, but I think it's also uh, worth mentioning uh, Roger Ward, who played uh, Fifi, the kind of the I guess he's the chief of the the main patrol force. I don't know exactly. I don't think they ever like say his rank or anything, but uh, he's like the big bald guy. Uh, no, that's who I was that. thinking of. That's, yeah, that's, that's who I meant. Oh, the head of the sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I thought you were talking about the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought because there's a guy who's the guy at the uh, the train station is named Station Master. Oh, the train station. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. Hey, yeah, Lord, yeah you wait. You think yeah. I looked at him and said that's <laughs> Lord Humongous? <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. What did he take well, steroids yeah, he and go on and go on a low carb diet? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't I didn't know where you were going with that, but I was just gonna let it. I was just. But you're just gonna let it go. It's like wow, he's he's been taking drugs. Bill's been huffing oh. armor all. I was like, sure. Uh, yeah. Now, um, which no, one was okay. Max again? I think I've gotten yeah, long. Yeah. I, what I, Arnold Dang wasn't available. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, see, I found it interesting that Fifi apparently wore leather pants and no shirt on his day off. Oh, I I that's I love everything about I love everything about his character. The way he dresses, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I love the fact that he's you know on his day off he's he's in there like tending to his his plants. Yeah, no, love love Roger Ward. So he was another he was another Australian actor, born in 1936 and apparently still acting to this day. So he's like in God, his, love like, him. 80s now. Well, death fears him as it well should. Well, well to to your point, I think he actually was uh, often cast as like villains in a lot of Australian <laughs> films. You yeah, think? believe it or not. Um, yeah. But I love him in this movie because he is actually, uh, I don't know, he's kind of a teddy bear, and I kind of mm-hmm. kind of love him. 
well, his name is Fifi, but yeah, no yeah. one ever makes a joke about it. Cause <laughs> would you? Yeah. I love, even though I don't love the whole, uh, I think the whole thing with him, like trying to get like Max to stay on is, is it's kind yeah. of inexplicable, but I do love that every, every time he hasn't seen him, he's like, you know, Oh, come on, Max. We'll show that he has that line where he's like, we'll show the world that, you know, they're still heroes. Um, yeah. yeah. Love him. Does anyone else have any, any thoughts on, on Fifi? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cool. And then I think that's pretty much it. The only other I think one... I just want to I emphasize I oh, think yeah. he would have been almost as good a Lord Humongous as Reg Evans, the station master. <laughs> <laughs> almost. Um <laughs> all right. Well, moving on. I think the, the only other uh the only other two characters I think I really wanted to mention for kind of the heroes, uh, and they're not really in there very much at all, but uh Charlie and uh Roop, the two guys at the the beginning of the movie Roop is the one kind of spying on the couple um not a whole lot to say about them I love their whole shtick throughout yeah. the first starting chase where their car is getting progressively more and more smashed up and, and you know, so they're doing they. the whole they're yeah <laughs> well they're doing the whole buddy cop thing where they're trying yeah. to fight over who's driving and I don't know I just love them I don't know if anyone else has any opinions but uh, I just wanted to mention them well I was thinking that it, like it ends with that with uh is it Roop who gets his, his throat torn? Uh, that's Charlie. Yeah. Charlie. Charlie gets his throat torn. And then so you're thinking, oh shit, he's dead. And yeah. they're kind of and there's like, yeah. nope, nope. He's like a couple of scenes later, he's there with the voice box. It's like, yep. which kind of sits there and goes, Wow, this is that rough a society that after getting, you know, mutilated like that, he's yeah. he's patched up and back, he's back still, with he's the still force, working. like not much long after. Yeah. I, and I and also I have always I've always loved that gimmick the the electronic voice box thing that yeah. is just so cool and and if it ever happened to me you know make make lemonade out of lemons i would see if there's any way they could make it sound like vincent price in dr five <laughs> and i would continue teaching till the day i died you know to be able to just go in front of the students and not move my lips and just glare at them and my voice is coming out like dr fives like i, yeah. I would wake up every morning with a smile on my face yay i get to go to work though. i know you yeah. yeah, apparently uh, also an interesting <laughs> piece of trivia that I read. So despite the entire film being dubbed for the American release, uh, apparently his lines when he's using that voice box was one of the, the few things that actually wasn't dubbed, oddly <laughs> enough. So yeah, cool. Well, uh, I think it's time if we if we don't have any other kind of protagonist or heroes we want to talk about, kind of move on to the baddies. Yeah. And Lord knows there are a lot of them, uh, so I don't think we need to cover all of them. But obviously, we do need to talk about Toe Cutter, who is, uh, again, I think, arguably the best written uh, and possibly the best acted character in the entire film. Mm -hmm. Uh, what do you yeah. guys? What do you guys think? He wouldn't. I wouldn't say he's the most subtly acted character, but oh, oh Lord, <laughs> no, no. He but he's, he's he's a fun character, definitely, and he he has like a a constantly changing uh, accent as well like he kind of he'll he'll do it intentionally like he'll he'll use like a different accent each time almost he, he and, has a he has like a constant like affectation yeah I just point out that he was he was played by hugh keith Byrne, who was uh i think he was he was technically a british actor uh apparently he was actually born in india but then he moved to hmm. australia i think he moved to australia to pursue acting but i don't i i uh, i may have that note wrong because i don't know would move to australia to pursue acting but yeah i think you're right i love his his constant like he's he's basically always putting on a show yes i love it he that's and that's what makes a great him a great villain he's one of those characters who's aware that he's putting on a performance so he puts on a good one it's it's shakespearean it's over the top it's like you know when you watch richard the third he knows he's a villain he loves being a villain 
he somehow senses that there's an audience out there even when he's alone and he's performing for them it's 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 great it's just one of those characters you know it's like when you watch a civil war movie and the 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 way the people speak it's like they know that everything they say is being written down you know for posterity so they're 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 making sure that it's really good he's he's a great villain now in the mad max series he is the most low key of all the villains <laughs> true yes. which Believe tells not, you yeah. what a, what a, what a turn for the you know the rafters they went in in the subsequent movies but uh, he's great he's great and and I'm, i was so delighted to find out about 3 seconds before the podcast started that he played Emoden Joe i didn't know that at all it, yeah. You, oh yeah. Look, he's yeah, wearing yeah. a lot of makeup, and it's been many years. Okay, so you didn't know it either. Yeah, he has the same hair, though. So he does. Yeah, that's true. He hmm. does. But why? Why like? Actually, the one of the scenes I like best with him, and Renee, you talked about the ice cream scene right before that when she's getting the ice cream. He's following her, like during that scene when he has the toy that he's like jingling in front of the baby, mm-hmm. and like pl- trying, like play. It's just so. It's menacing, but that kind of menacing, like where it's like, no, I'm, I'm just being nice, you know, but. That just that whole part right there is so creepy from him, and just I I love that whole bit with him and the baby and just like jingling the little keys or whatever he had, and it was just like oh it's, he's so it, I find that creepier than when he's licking the ice cream cone. It's just, <laughs> yeah, so which, that that's actually I, I want to mention something there since you brought it up. I think the overall the the thing that is kind of menacing about the bikers and the gang is. Uh, obviously they are kind of you know they don't really want anything other than to create chaos but they are also like they are unpredictable they are like a a wild dog that you you know it might let you pet it but uh eventually it will turn on you and and bite you and you see you see something similar in earlier scenes when you're first introduced to them and they kind of you know, roll into town. Lots of weird, uh, I don't think we need to talk about all of them individually, but just the overall weirdness of all of the bikers. Um, there mm-hmm. are a couple of them that they're always like, you know, dancing or they're doing these, like, I, I don't know. There's just a lot of weird, like, yeah. background yes. stuff going on. Um, and then there's the scene where, like, the second scene where they're in the town and there, I guess a couple of townies are kind of like, I don't know, hanging out with them. And one of them, one of the bikers, like, just, they're just standing around. And one of the bikers takes, like, a milkshake or something and, like, spits it in the through the straw into the guy's face. And yeah. then that escalates in about, like, 30 seconds of them, like, dragging him behind the car. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> it like, yeah. zero to 60. Right. And and I think that's the scary thing about them is they, they're obviously evil and they're obviously dangerous, but they... Right they don't always come off that way immediately. So it's right. like one of those, like, oh, am I, am I going to survive this encounter? Am I going to get out okay? Are they going to, you know, strike? There's there's also a family element to them that, you know, it, I, I don't know if I want to go so far as say they love each other, but there is that that kind of dog pack mentality. They they genuinely mourn Knight Rider. They, um, you get the feeling, um, is it, who's who's the second in command? Is that, that's not Johnny the boy. Who's the the blonde guy? It looks like he should be in a new wave Mike rock Pence. band. Uh, the, who? Mike the, Pence. The... <laughs> no, no. Uh, who? He, yeah, he looks like Mike Pence. He does. He does kind of look like a post-apocalyptic Mike Pence. No. Yeah, uh, there you are. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, the name of the character. I didn't have him on here. The name of the character is uh, Bubba Zanetti, played by uh, Jeff Carey. You know, he because he he seems smarter than the others and you know sort of sitting quietly he's clearly like the second in command the one that toe cutter 
respects and 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 knows how to handle things better and then the others you know everyone's got their position in in the pack and johnny the boy is is kind of an idiot that he's trying to maybe bring up um you know but there there is that element and that's that seems to be you think about that that's kind of true in all the road warrior movies i mean lord humongous genuinely seems to you know have a certain degree of affection for uh, was it wes or whatever that character yeah. the other yeah and and you know the the way barter town is run and master blaster Wait, the, the, who, between those sorry. two so who, huh? who runs barter town who runs well master blaster okay okay just making sure sorry continue yeah and, you know and and all, and then all the way to Emoden Joe, who again, in his sick, twisted way, I think genuinely loves his boys, his soldiers and everything, that yeah. these, these are evil characters, but they're not inhuman. And, and it, there is humanity within them, which to me makes them far worse. You know, like it, it, people complain when they made like um, that, that movie that everybody like makes fun of, the one, the one with Hitler and everything, because it really kind of humanized him. And to me, that makes him infinitely more evil that Hitler was a person who could love his girlfriend and his dogs and everything else, and yet was capable of doing what he did. If he was just some monster, some one in a generation kind of monster that comes out with no ability, no humanity whatsoever, it's like, okay, well, that's a monster. You know, you kill monsters, whatever. It's scarier to think that a human could become like that than to think that just some random monster could. So I like the little touches of humanity that they they bring to these characters. What I thought about the the motorcycle gang is they they reminded me. I was like, this is just like another gang that would be in the movie The Warriors, which actually uh, yeah. I looked up and yeah. came out the same came year. Here. Yeah, Ugh. but yeah, wow. that's what I thought of as soon as Tokota rolled up and you know had that sort of. It's like exactly what has he done? I think he's like shaved an eyebrow and he's got a little <laughs> bit of paint or something on his face. It's like yeah, this is one of the Warriors gangs. You know, I don't know what they call themselves, but. It's almost like, you know, deleted scene from the Warriors. There's another gang that we didn't talk about. Hmm. Yeah. True. That's pretty cool. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, no, and, and interestingly enough, uh, I think one of the, uh, supposedly one of the inspirations for this movie was, I, I guess there was a movie that came out a few years earlier that was about uh, bikers. It was a, an Australian movie. Actually, co-starred Hugh Keysburn as well. It was called Stone. Um, apparently hmm. it wasn't very good because... I believe Byron Kennedy said that he wanted to basically make a movie like Stone, but good. Um, but yeah, it's kind, of, <laughs> kind of interesting. I think that, you know, and, and biker films, I guess, were big in Australia. Obviously, you know, there, there had been a lot of uh, that. That was kind of a subgenre in America, mm -hmm. you know, in the 60s and 70s. I know like Roger Corman actually, I think, made uh, a number of like biker films. So this definitely was not the first evil biker gang movie. But I think that the the thing that sets it apart from every other film in the genre is just the the strangeness um and the absurdity which makes them even more sinister also yeah. the the when they see when they uh when they see jesse getting ice cream and like when you see toe cutter and they're do, like doing yoga or something it's just it's just every scene every scene that's the thing <laughs> i love every scene oh yeah and and um when they when they get when they have the sprog at the uh at the barn and they're like holding him hostage and there's the one guy up on the building who's just like i don't know how he's like suspended on the on the roof or not on the roof but on the like on the top of the building i don't know if you guys like caught yeah him. he looked like he was crucified at first i yeah. was like yeah. did they crucify somebody and then no he just like gets down he was, yeah. he was just it's, hanging it's, out up just, there. yeah i remember that scene it looked like he was suspended in midair and then when that because mm -hmm. and it's like okay i'm gonna look and see what's going on and then the next scene 
that he's in or the next shot that he's in, it's like he's sitting in the window. So it's like, oh, they're not going to show me how they did that. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I don't know. I, I just love the fact that there's a lot of attention to detail. And I think we'll get into that also when we talk about like George Miller's style is extremely visual. He originally talked, I think there was a quote about you know, him wanting to just make a basically a silent movie. So obviously his attention to detail in every scene is is pretty impressive. But yeah, anything else uh, we want to say about Toe Cutter or uh, Hugh, Hugh Keysburn before we move he's, on? He's great. You know, you say they made a lot of um, biker movies in Australia. I'm not surprised because the, the visuals, the, the long stretches of isolated roads with nothing. Yeah. Not even a kangaroo on the side. I mean, that that place was made for biker movies the way Bronson Canyon was made for Westerns. Yeah. It's just the perfect visual. Supposedly, a lot of the, the bikers were actually part of a real biker gang. Yeah, uh, I'm not surprised. According to, yeah, like, yeah. IMDb trivia. No, <laughs> no, I, I think that. And that they, yeah. Always and that they actually had to, like, story. come in costume. So they actually were, <laughs> were riding the streets dressed like that. This, this happens a lot. Indie filmmakers decide to make a biker movie and they have what they think is a good idea, which is to get actual bikers to be in their movie. And yeah. it's always a mistake for reasons that are obvious to apparently anyone who is not an indie filmmaker. I heard they're really good for security at rock concerts, too. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. Who soon? would know better than to do oh, security God. at a rock concert? Uh, <laughs> anyways, moving on. <laughs> what could go uh, wrong? One other character, uh, again, I think I left him off the list. I give you guys, I apologize. But uh, Tim Burns as uh, Johnny the Boy, not a huge role. Uh, obviously, his role is more pivotal in terms of the plot than mm -hmm. uh, really the, the meat of the character. Uh, the only reason I, I think he's definitely worth mentioning is the last scene, which is kind of like one of the most iconic scenes of the entire yeah. film. And also, I think the the one scene that he really does give a good performance because he's kind of he's, you know, cornered by Max and he's kind of does this thing where he's, you know, he goes between threatening and pleading and crying. Right. And it's it's a I don't know. It's he's pathetic. It's, yeah, not not a not a huge role, but uh, I, I loved him. I love that scene. Um, we're going to I have a I have a couple of notes uh, when we talk about the kind of influences of the film and especially that scene. Yeah. I mean, I like that scene, except, but I felt like it should have been Toe Cutter, you know, that the, the, the last kill, the, the big, the big revenge that we end with is on a character who's really, eh, I mean, he, he, he didn't even really burn Goose. I mean, he was like fighting against it yeah. and then they, they, he kind of made him throw the match. So he's a pathetic character. Yeah, and that, that's actually kind of an intro. That, that one other line that I really like hit, uh, from him that makes him, I don't know, kind of sinister is when he's when they have when when Goose is in the the truck upside down and and he says, oh, he, he looks funny, doesn't he?" And it's, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 mm -hmm. very. I feel like there probably could have been a lot more to that character. Apparently, this movie was apparently the script was uh, much longer and then they cut down a lot of what they shot. So I don't. I, I'm kind of curious if that character actually had like more presence in the kind of Maybe. original iteration he kind of reminded me of a character from like a dirty harry movie where you know they're talking yeah. about how the system is broken and letting these animals out yeah. on the streets it's like i'm sick man they told me i'm sick and you know he's got all these excuses <laughs> yeah, no, and what we really want is for you know either clint eastwood or mel gibson to come along and put him out of our misery yeah cool i think the the one other uh kind of bad guy i wanted to mention uh he's only in there for a minute but we got to mention the night rider because i feel like his rider very very iconic uh played by yeah. a, an actor named vincent G gill or jill uh, i'm not sure how to pronounce it again like most of the characters in this movie uh he's been in a bunch of stuff in 
in Australia, but I, I don't think anything that I recognized. Um, any thoughts on, obviously he's kind of the intro before we see mm -hmm. any of the other bikers uh, or before we see Toe Cutter, we see him. So he's kind of our introduction to the insanity of uh, these future gangs, which uh, and I think is pretty effective too. Him, him and his girlfriend. I, I, the, the thing that grabbed me most about it was, especially having seen the other films and see what direction they go and how they kind of really ramp up, you can really see the seeds of how the, especially like you said, the villains talk in it and the villain, because he's, he's, he's doing that, that whole announcing and he's mm -hmm. announcing, you know, I can't even remember the exact dialogue, but it, it's not, it's not normal speech. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> it's just kind of elevated speech. It's like a, you know, he's making it, doing an announcer. He's, and so you can see this kind of seeds of what is going to become sort of as the as the other films ramp up what's going to happen with those mm -hmm. villains getting bigger and great bigger than life hey paul uh yeah. i'm actually really glad you mentioned that because when i was re-watching this movie there was one line from the knight rider that really stood out to me so he, ha he has a line yeah he's doing the whole his whole kind of monologue but he has one line where he says do you see me toe cutter do you see me does that mm. remind you of anything oh oh is that um crap that's in, in fury road fury road in, yeah uh always say witness me uh, yeah <laughs> that that jumped out at me obviously you know it probably just a coincidence but for uh, again like going back to the fact that george miller is a filmmaker who latches on to ideas and mm. explores them and reuses them and they're, they're this is kind of a a theme throughout the entire series so so when i heard that i was like oh man i wonder if there's any if that's just coincidence or if there's any intention behind that probably an intention that's, in, that's in Fury Road cause, yeah because when we, when we start talking when we talk about um when we get to the point where we're talking about uh um the third one uh, uh beyond thunderdome beyond thunderdome yeah and uh the you know in this one you have the scene um at the beach and you have have the the um mentally uh disabled guy um yeah i'm not sure if that's the proper way mm -hmm. to put it but uh this and uh was i can't remember what his name was like Bo or something i forget what it was and uh she runs into him my understanding is by the in the third fil film when he's wrestling uh mm -hmm. what's the big guy in in thunderdome itself Blaster, yeah master Blaster, that he's that that's originally who it was supposed to be it was originally oh. supposed to be him and and so the, at one point that's what there was actually supposed to be a connection so oh, i could very well see um, George yeah. Miller taking that connection between uh, this character, um, Knight Rider, and and uh, the characters in Fury Road. So yeah. I can see that being intentional. Uh, you know, I hadn't really thought about. It. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's that's smart. the The idea that of of Knight Rider calling out to Toe Cutter, you know, do you see me and everything? Because you could argue one of the themes that they keep talking about are heroes and all. And if we don't have heroes, then inevitably people will latch on to a substitute lord humongous uh Modin joe yeah tina turner whatever you know the, people <laughs> will seek out a strong horse they will seek out someone who gives order to the chaos and it, you know a world without heroes will become a world of villains yeah yeah and the, the uh that character is uh is benno that they were thinking okay about. Played uh, by max fairchild interesting piece of trivia also shows up as the the big guy on the front of uh, humongous's car in the road warrior oh, oh wow 
Um, yeah, no, there's oh, also the same character then, or no? Just no, no, I don't think. So. No, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, there, there's actually, and this is not something that I figured out on my own. This was uh, I was I was looking at someone's like fan theory, but uh, there there is apparently the original, the entire like original opening was uh, when they talk about him killing a cop, and that's how he got the 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 V8 that he's in, mm-hmm. uh, Night Rider. Apparently, there was there was something in the script where they named the cop, and the cop is named Con Cannon. And they were pointing out that in Fury Road, Furiosa says that she's from, like, she's, uh, I think it's like the the, the house con canon or something like that. So it's, he, there are ah. these, like really, really very minute things that, and this is, this is like, again, like when we talk about George Miller and just like, I think some of the best filmmakers are the ones that kind of latch on to these ideas right. and will explore them and not give them up and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's uh, it's also something that makes the series very interesting since there's sometimes not perfect continuity between them, but there are these connective connective tissue. So uh, like you know, you know, he has yeah. a universe that he, you know, he has this universe in his head where all the movies are connected and yeah. you know, like people didn't listen to the penguins and happy feet so the Oh world man, you stole my line, man. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> And there were mutations where animals like pigs yeah. could start talking yeah. and everything just goes straight to hell and we get the Mad Max world. Any, uh, any, uh, Renee, Alan, I know, again, like the three of us talk a whole lot. Uh, any <laughs> thoughts from you guys on any of the villains or any of the heroes or anything else? Well, I have no thoughts on how these villains relate to the next three movies because I haven't seen any of that. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to have to do a retrospective once we get through all four films and see see what you think <laughs> any Renee, any thoughts i was just taken by you know the unexpected choreography uh of mm. the bikers there was a lot of that in yeah. so many ways the way they rode the bikes the way they parked their bikes the way they moved in and out of buildings and interacted with each other it was fascinating it was like west side story so all i could think about was the warriors when i saw them doing that you know like it's like you know in the warriors they had you know they had the you know, what gang paints their faces and walks around with, you know, baseball bats. It's, it's like, yeah. it's this big cool setup. To, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like this big setup, like these, these weird little nuances, but you know, they, they only had one gang. So it was, you know, it was sort of little clicks within the gang, but all gangs have, you know, the guy that yeah. it's like, Oh, I'm a member of the gang, but I really shouldn't be here. You know, I really shouldn't be here. And I, I you know, that's also the only gang I would ever think about joining because it seems pretty stupid to be a gang. But if they said, oh, we dress up like super villains in a comic book and carry bats, I'm like, oh, sign me up. You don't want to be part of the mime gang? All right, that's a whole nother. Uh. Yeah, no roller skates. No roller skates for me. We definitely got to do the Warriors episode at some point. There's a lot, a lot to talk about there. So yeah, one other, before we move on, I think one other actor, a character I wanted to call out uh, mostly because there's a, a connection here so that somehow I was not aware of. But uh, Nick, or or I, I think he's sometimes uh, credited as Nico Lathoris, played the grease rat. Uh, he's the the mechanic where they go mm. and trying to get their uh, their tire patched. Uh, he has he, he's actually he's got you know he's only in there for like a scene or two. He's got some fun lines. You know he's got he talks about you know uh, speed's just a matter of money. How much do you want to spend? Love his character. <laughs> Always thought he was kind of a fun little character. Doesn't show up in any of the uh, you know the 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 next two films, but would go on to be the co-writer of Mad Max Fury Road. What? Oh. I don't know how. I, and and I didn't do a whole lot of research into that because I want to if, if we if we get to Fury Road, 
Um, I want to like well, we find will. out like how the hell he went from because uh, as far as I could tell, I don't know. He he wasn't. Mm. Uh, I'm sure he may, you know maybe he knew George Miller, but his name doesn't come up as like an influential creative force in George Miller's like sphere at the time. So I don't he's know. Apparently, also writing the screenplay for the sequel. Oh yeah, wow. yeah, no, the he's yeah. Wow. I, I think I think he may have I think he may have been like helping develop the story on mm. on both. Good of for them, him. But, yeah. Very random. Uh, I thought that was kind of cool, though. Uh, somehow, I didn't realize that until now. Just more proof that every uh, everyone has a screenplay. Every yeah. single person, you know? Yeah. Cool. Well, so I think we've covered all the characters, all the actors, uh, all the performances that we probably want to talk about. So let's move on to talking about the uh, people behind the camera. I've kind of mentioned a little bit the main driving force behind, no pun intended, behind this film was George Miller and Byron Kennedy. They were... Actually, I don't think they were trained filmmakers at all. They were they were doctors who shared a love of filmmaking. Apparently, George Miller, uh, years before this movie came out, he you know he loved movies. He loved watching movies, and uh, I guess eventually, him and Byron Kennedy decided they wanted to make a movie. Apparently, there are a ton of, of references throughout the entire series to a lot of other movies. Apparently, like specifically like. Uh, Beyond Thunderdome has a lot of homages to Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. So apparently he was, yeah, George Miller was, he was just a film, uh, a film fan who wanted to make a movie. So him and Byron Kennedy worked on the the screenplay for uh, a couple of years, apparently. And then when, when it came time to actually make the movie, uh, George Miller directed and Byron Kennedy produced, uh, they had made a couple of shorts before this kind of similar to other like first time directors. It actually blew me away for some reason. I thought, George Miller had directed a couple of movies before this uh, does not to me, at least does not look like the work of a first time director. It's definitely rough and it's not the, a perfectly made film, but it is more competently made than plenty of movies made by plenty of uh, veteran directors. So I don't know, let's, I guess, talk about, you know, how do we feel about George Miller? Uh, how do we feel about his, his direction in this movie? And then also uh, I'll mention uh, David Egby, was the uh, cinematographer on this and he also didn't really he had he had worked on like a, a tv movie this was his first feature he would go on to uh he'd work on a lot of movies he worked on uh he shot warlock quickly down under fortress Dragonheart, pitch black and riddick uh wow. so definitely had oh. a a successful career after this and i think it's obvious why watching this it's a very well shot movie in my opinion george miller uh, originally he had a lot of influences but actually silent film was a huge influence and he even said one quote from him was i basically wanted to make a silent movie but with sound um and i think it shows i remember hearing something about that that he wanted to make a movie that people in japan could know what was happening and didn't have to you know speak english but it was he specifically <laughs> said japan um yeah i thought it was really interesting from what i had seen of him he really stayed with his vision uh yeah yeah I I looked up the budget and I just re-looked it up to make sure I was right and I completely missed a zero. When I first looked at it, I thought it said that the budget was three million, but I went back and looked and it's it was yeah. only three hundred thousand. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. That's I mean that's that's I was like oh three million sounds about right you know for back then maybe a little much but three hundred thousand seems like you know especially for all of the um the stunts yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and the I, I don't know if you call them I guess you call them pyrenetics or whatever. I mean, they, they weren't really special effects, but the 
the blowing of blowing things up generally i mean you know that's a little more expensive than you would you know if, you know cars are flipping and stuff but yeah oh you say that but who blew up an ice cream truck us <laughs> there we go and wasn't that like the most expensive piece <laughs> probably but that's not saying much that's actually an interesting point when you talk about explosions one of the interesting things to me about really the entire series visually is obviously there are there's a lot of like vehicular violence there are a lot of car crashes there actually aren't a whole lot of explosions in these movies it's not like a hollywood movie where cars crash and everything explodes and yeah. in a way i think that that makes the crashes a lot nastier because every cars don't explode they they almost disintegrate when they collide and and it almost like makes it look yeah. more brutal than even like an explosion and and maybe it came from getting bikers to play bikers but does anybody remember the shot where the biker got yeah. hit with the front uh, like the front wheel of a motorcycle yeah, yeah. that looked that like it hurt that is one of the things i was going to call out as being like that is one of the nastiest looking stunts in the entire movie and the stunts mm -hmm. a, a lot of the stunts look very good you know there it doesn't look like there are a lot of wires in this movie but man yeah that that guy gets clocked on the back of the head head by the front yeah, yeah. i have a feeling oh, that part wasn't exactly planned to be honest yeah i don't think it was <laughs> yeah 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 well uh, yeah apparently there were a lot of things that weren't planned or there were there were other notable things that weren't planned yeah one of the few explosions in the film is when t uh night rider uh in the beginning finally crashes and his car explodes um but i always thought it was kind of weird because you see when his car is uh, kind of like going around i guess the i think it's like construction equipment or something or, or a, a car wreck or something and he has like basically a jet coming out of the back of his car i don't know if you guys noticed that i always noticed yeah. that i always thought it was weird apparently they just took a uh, a, a jet and and <laughs> attached it to the back of the car so uh <laughs> literally what they did and apparently it was it was not that the stuff didn't come off as they planned and it was one of those things where they shot it the, the car went in completely the wrong kind of direction and they thought it was ruined. They, they shot, thought the shot was ruined and they went back and looked at it and they realized it looks uh, amazing, which it does. That's cool. And you got to remember this was shot on film. I mean, there was, yeah, you know, it wasn't like you shoot it and you can look in your little, you know, the view screen and see what it looked like. I mean, I mean, uh, even the uh, $300,000, they probably spent $50,000 in film. I mean, it, yeah, apparently it was it was a beg and borrow movie. I think that they got a lot of like small investors. A lot of the like you know like uh, someone mentioned the the bikers were basically just a real biker gang that had their own bikes. Now I've read conflicting things about this, but uh, supposedly the van that they hit in the beginning of the movie that kind of just flies off the road. Uh, apparently, supposedly that was actually George Miller's personal van. Um, oh. yeah, apparently that was a, it was called a, uh, Mazda Bongo and which is obviously a very seventies name for a van. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm always struck by the, just the nastiness of, again, it's not, they don't show a lot of like physical, they don't show people, you know, crawling out of the car wrecks without any arms or anything, but the cars just, when something crashes, the cars just disintegrate. Yeah. And when they do, when someone does get blown up, you got the George Miller subliminal close up of giant eyeballs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's that's one of his. That's I love that trademark. Uh, I think they do it twice in this, and 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 then he actually does it at least once in the Road Warrior. Yeah, I love that effect so much. That actually reminds me a lot of. Uh, it, it almost looks like a cartoonish thing, and it actually reminds me a lot of kind of like uh, Sam Raimi style 
of doing yes. very like over the top, almost cartoonish things that are actually kind of grotesque. Now we actually paused it and looked at it because it looked to me like it was uh, it, it, like a you know Evil Dead type of thing. What, what was that a prosthetic? It really looked like somebody's eyes, even no, when I paused yeah. it. It, it was a prosthetic. They had they had basically it was just a head in the uh, in the helmet that they could pop. Okay, eyes the at skin, it. the skin that they used, whatever they used for skin, it looked really good. And I was like, yeah. that really looks like somebody's face. It didn't look like a, you know, like a cartoon. The eyes did a little bit, but the skin when you when I paused it at that frame, it was like I was like, wow, that really looks like somebody's head. How they do that with the eyes though? That's pretty good. It's so fast, so subliminal. Mm. It, it, could, it could have been fake, but I'm glad they could have, did a good job. I had to, I they had a little that. shot like that, too, with crows. I forget when it was, but it was just Yeah, little... that's uh, that's when they're kind of cutting away to the violence at the uh, the Chevy, the couple mm -hmm. that's kind of getting assaulted. And they ah, yes. Do the shot of the crow. Um, actually, kind of interesting, another kind of connective thing, and I don't know anything about Australia. I don't know if there are just a lot of crows out there, but uh, you, you hear kind of crows cawing in a couple of scenes. And I also noticed that something... You notice in the road warrior there's a lot of like uh effects of like crows um and then again puts them in uh in fury road when they're going through the kind of swamp area with the guys on stilts there are a lot of crows and they have the same like calling effect so i don't know maybe it's just uh you know australia has a lot of crows but i thought that was something else that was kind of interesting across all three movies hmm. i was talking about the shots there are also some uh just in terms of when they're in the car, there's that sort of, again, it's, it's I, I would say iconic, but now it's more signature shot because he reuses it, I think, in later ones. It, they use it as uh, where you're looking at Max as he's driving. This is when he has gone mad, I guess, more. And it's, you're, mm -hmm. you know, you're facing towards him and you, and you see the air intake sticking out of it. And you see, you just like that kind of the view head on of him as he's driving. He's looking very intense. And I think, don't they use that again? Like, yeah, they use that, and that's that's they take that shot and do it a lot in uh, in the Road Warrior. Yeah, and so it's interesting. And again, you see this sort of like the generation of 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 where he's going to ah, go with cat. Do you get attacked by a cat, Bill? Oh, these cats—they're they're, they're <laughs> demons, is what they are. I I, I, I can relate. I can relate. Bill doesn't. Bill doesn't actually have cats. I should let the, the <laughs> audience know. He he just has flashbacks from when nah. we watch cats the movie. Um, oh God! Occasionally, he just he just says, "Oh, these cats." Oh, <laughs> Rebel Wilson's um, back again. Make her go. Ah. <laughs> oh, no, think, we're gonna have to like watch that movie just so I have an excuse to watch that movie. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we'll do a whole episode on that. I'm I'm oh. more than down for that. Um, I think, <laughs> Only if we I can think... get the butthole cut, but that's another. Thing. <laughs> hey man, if they can if they can release the Snyder cut, they can definitely really release. The yeah. <laughs> You know I, the I story also, about that, right? That the, supposedly they actually had yeah, buttholes on yeah. the cats and somebody had to go through and erase and, them all. And some poor effect artist spent yeah. two weeks going back and erasing uh, cat holes. Four years in college to learn how to do match moving and color correction. And this is where it led to. <laughs> yeah, where's more where's movies that, I haven't seen. Where's that work print uh, leak? Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, something else that kind of impressed me too, like obviously, you know, Miller would become, uh, you know, a very accomplished director. He directed, you know, he's done like a dozen movies after this, like you mentioned, Happy Feet, Babe Pig in the City, but he's obviously, uh, now he has a pretty long filmography, but at the time he was, I think he was almost experimenting and kind of finding his own style by incorporating mm -hmm. a bunch of other styles. So there are a lot of things 
there are a lot of things that are kind of like one-offs or you know things that he's obviously playing around with um so he has a lot of interesting like one like uh, uh i love the the effect when uh when max goes in to look at the goose and he kind of like pulls the sheet back and you just see his mm-hmm. face but the cut is like this weird like ripple cut or this weird like ripple effect like you see in like you know going into like a dream sequence and it goes on into like a close-up of his his face yeah um, yeah so a lot of a lot of a lot of like weird like one-off things where he's obviously kind of experimenting and, and finding like his style as a director right and and he did i, I mean when you when you think about it now i mean how old is is miller now? uh so he is he's 75 he was born in uh I think 46. That's another thing that's uh, amazing. Uh, he was 70 years old when Fury Road was released. So, uh, yeah, kind of kind of amazing that he's... And it's kind of amazing, too. Like, you you think about a lot of these directors uh, mm-hmm. who, were, who were very kind of adventurous and audacious. You know, you think of, like, young Sam Raimi. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of, of some other... You know, you, you mentioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, you know, Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper. John Carpenter. John Carpenter, and you think of a lot of these directors, and even like bigger, like big Hollywood directors, like uh, you know Ridley Scott and Steven Spielberg, and you know you look at their '80s stuff, and you're like, oh man, this is so good, right? And, and then and then you look at stuff that they've done the last you know 20 years, and it's like, oh man, they've they're just kind of going through the motions now, right? But then like George Miller never lost it, in my opinion. Like he never felt like he was just making a movie because that's what he does, right? Like yeah. he, he was still kind of chasing that perfect film, even through like Fury Road, um, which interestingly enough, uh, another thing I didn't realize. So apparently George Miller really hated this movie. He, hmm. I, I, I have a, I have a quote here and I kind of want to read this just because I think it's, I, I didn't realize this and I was really, really surprised, but he said, uh, I felt utterly defeated by the first Mad Max. Uh, I felt that film was unreleasable. It's wow. a mystery to me why the film still worked. All I see are its defects. And I thought that if you prepare to film well enough, the film that's in your head, it's just a matter of executing it. And I was quite naive then. Uh, now, these were, I got these quotes from a interview with him, I think in like the mid 2000s during his happy feet uh, phase. So I don't know. <laughs> if, I don't know if he's like, maybe he softened on it. I don't know if this was, you know, he still feels this way. I thought it was pretty, pretty impressive that in my mind, this is like one of the best debut films of maybe any director ever and and he he just did not like it at all so was there something specific he didn't like about because it? it's not it was an indie film so it wasn't like the studio interfered with it right or would the distribution company have no 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 it? no i think he was, didn't feel like I, he executed it properly I, that... honestly i think it's because he yeah no i think it's because he is a perfectionist and like you know watching fury road and, and listening to how long that movie took and how much time he spent getting every single shot exactly how he wanted it. He, he has another another quote that uh, he, he says, one of the big differences between Mad Max and Mad Max 2, in the, in the interim, I spent almost every day thinking about what I'd done wrong on Mad Max 1. Why it wasn't sort of bonding, uh, bending itself to my will. Remember that I spent almost a year cutting it, uh, so I saw every mistake. And once it's locked on film, it's there forever. And you say, oh my God, if the camera was only a little bit lower, or if I had done that a little faster... Than I, if I, or if I'd changed that line, I was able to confront that. We all do when we're cutting a film, but I was able to do that. So it's, I think it was, uh, it was partly budget, but yeah, I mean, probably partly just being a, a first time filmmaker, you know, they, they had a, a super limited shooting schedule too. So they only had, I think it was only like six weeks to, to shoot. And then they did some, some initial stunt work. Yeah. It's kind of interesting though. So, 
some of the other stuff, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just kind of rambling here. So guys, feel free to jump in, <laughs> whatever. But but partly because I found out stuff that I, I didn't even realize before. And honestly, a lot of the stuff was kind of makes makes the whole series make sense. Apparently, yeah, uh, they they had basically him and Byron Kennedy had written uh, or or when they were writing the movie, it was more of a post apocalyptic film, and ultimately they couldn't make the movie that they really wanted to because of their budgetary limitations. So that's what, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's society at the brink and they have, you know, it even starts with the very first shot is, you know, it says uh, mm -hmm. a few years in the future or, or whatever, a few years from now, sorry. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they, they basically, I think he wanted to make the road warrior from the outset, but mm. they, they just couldn't. Sure, they weren't going to give a first, a, basically a first-time director. It's just as well. It's just as well that he made as a good a movie as he could make with three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, well, if actually, he tried I, to make, I, yeah, okay, yeah. If he if he tried to make the Road Warrior for three hundred thousand dollars, we wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> well, what I actually I, I like the fact that it's a, a pre-apocalyptic film because, yeah. like, like you said, it's not something you see that often. And it's like you see, you see, there's still society. People are still trying to hold on to some things, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it's it's clearly falling apart, like the halls of justice um, that they keep showing. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. you know, it's yeah, it's from, yeah. It's yeah, the signs falling down never a good sign. Yeah, and yeah. and the fact that it, so I, I really kind of like that aspect of it because it's not something you see all that often, if ever. You always see it either you know everything's great or everything's shitty. And this right. is like, well, things are shitty, but they're not quite shitty yet. I mean, people are still, you know, getting ice cream cones and people are still, you know, they, they still have their families and houses and, and things are trying to keep some sense of normality while society's yeah. starting to go down the toilet. And so I really kind of, it, it might be something that he thought of as a weakness, but to me, that was actually one of the strengths of the film is that it's so, it's, it's this, well, things are going bad, but they're, they're not, they're not all that horrible yet which I thought was mm -hmm. kind of interesting. Yeah, I'd completely forgotten about the Halls of Justice, but everything, I always, every time I saw that, I was like, meanwhile, at the Halls of Justice, I kept thinking about, <laughs> meanwhile. you know, Super Friends. <laughs> <laughs> Aquaman you know, looks for something to do. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's also like, he, he it's, it's not, it's not a perfect film. I'm sure that there are shots that whatever, they're, they're not necessarily perfect, but like he has such a strong, visual sense and uh i think i think like when you get to the meat of the the movie which is the chase scenes mm -hmm. like there are very few films that do the the only the only director that can do a chase scene better than george miller in mad max is maybe george miller in the road warrior um right he, he has and, and part of that again honestly was probably budget like they uh you know there's a scene where goose is on the motorcycle <laughs> And you can kind of see over his shoulder. That was literally just, they, they just stuck a cameraman behind him and they went off and he was literally going like 70 miles down the road. There was no rigs. There was no safety right. truck holding them in place. It was literally just a, a camera guy on a bike. And I think, it, I think that, that, that comes across in the film. You know, there was one moment that, that made me just sort of sit up and it's where, when they say, where, where are the gang members? And they're off looking for fuel. And I'm like, whoa it begins so like we're starting to see fuel shortages where these guys because okay we're talking about a motorcycle 
They, they, yeah. they don't have huge gas tanks. I mean, yeah, I, I realize these guys are no good nicks, but they they ought to be able to just pull into a gas station and take the gasoline. They got to hijack a gas truck. Is Are things starting to get a little scarce? I think yeah. they are. And, you know, so, yeah, we are actually beginning to see. It probably didn't take very long to go from Australia looking a little rough to the apocalypse, to Lord Humongous warrior of the wasteland and and all this other you know just how fast it all collapses which you look around the world and you start you know you look at things and you look around and you start thinking it, it never it always seems like these movies take place in some imaginary world where that could happen but it couldn't really happen and then you wonder i i, I don't know maybe yeah. it really could <laughs> yeah i'm not you really know? thinking it's that distant anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, we they joke say about it. And it's, society it's is to... what four square meals away from collapse. Yeah, yeah. You know, because literally, and, and it's it's a line we had in fix it in post, but it's like the zombie apocalypse is something a lot of us have dreamed about and look forward to. But the reality of it is, it will be awful because there will not be any zombies. It will be an <laughs> apocalypse, but there won't be any zombies. the The people you'll be shooting will be people just like you, you know, and, and except they're coming after your food or whatever. You might be the food. Um, yeah, so apocalypses are no fun, and the the I mean, his apocalypse is. Let's face, it, I mean, Fury Road, man, <laughs> they got guys with electric guitars spitting out fire, and they're swinging on pogo sticks, and everything is just unless like it's, unless you're the blood donor strapped to the front of someone's car. Okay, I mean, so <laughs> you know, there's always those on the bottom of the totem pole. Let's not look at the glass being half full here. You know, it it's pretty cool. I mean, what do these guys do when they're not chasing after Furiosa? I mean, they, they've got this set up like they've been waiting their whole lives to do this. It's like, well, why we can talk we... about that when we get to when we get to Fury. Right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, well, no, it's it's interesting, though, because I think even though it's a it's a little cliched now, but saying it's set, you know, a few a few years from now always sets this film in the near future. And that's yeah. something there are a lot of imitators that came out in the 80s and the 90s. And a lot of them were, you know, it was, uh, you know, I don't, uh, you know, Bronx Warriors, nineteen ninety, or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, you know what I'm talking about. But so many of them were like uh, in the futuristic world of nineteen ninety five or the futuristic right. world of two thousand. And and this this avoids. That's the thing I love about this the uh, these movies is they avoid kind of like anchoring themselves in any yeah. specific time or even place. I mean, obviously this is. Uh, it set in Australia. It seems like it's set in Australia. Everyone's Australian, but I don't think but it could ever, be Arizona. Yeah, yeah. They never explicitly say it's Australia, so it's kind of a setting out of time and place. If you want to know how important George Miller is to this movie, watch any of the Italian ripoffs of Road <laughs> yeah. Warrior or the ones I think Bronx Warriors. That sounds like they combined Road Warrior with Escape from New York and yeah, came up so. with a total so. fiasco. They're so terrible. They are so terrible. And they were probably made for $300,000 too. Or, or less, or, or, or $30,000. Yeah, um, well, yeah. yeah. It's actually interesting that you mentioned that. I want to, uh, getting into kind of like the script and development and stuff. There was actually one other credited screenwriter, James McCausland, who apparently was not a screenwriter. He was, again, George Miller, not really knowing, I think, you know, how to go about making a film. He just kind of emulated what he knew. And I guess there were a lot of screenwriters that he was a fan of who had been mm -hmm. journalists. So apparently he just went out and hired James McCausland, who was like a financial journalist, but also uh, a big film aficionado. And this is his only screenwriting credit. 
he'd never worked on any other movie, but he did, he did have some interesting quotes about, you know, when they first started developing the film and this was a, you know, a few years after the 1973 uh, oil crisis. And basically that was on their mind was, you know, I think it actually doesn't really manifest itself as much in this movie, nearly as much as it does in the road warrior. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting. You mentioned that one scene where they are, you know, if you're just watching the film by itself, you might take it as, Oh, they're just stealing gas because that's what they do. Cause they're, yeah. you know, they're, they're criminals, but in the context of what they actually wanted to make and, and some of the movies he ended up making, that is, that is actually a big part of it that, yeah, the, the, basically, I think one of his quotes was something along the lines of it, the, when, when there's an oil crisis or whatever, people can't get gas, they will do liter literally anything to keep their vehicles running. Yeah. Well, that's pretty important in Australia where keeping your vehicles running is the difference between dying or not because it's it's a long, it's a big empty country with a few spots to live in in between and you got to get there. I, I do love the car culture of yes. this film. And, yes. and I think kids today, kids today, a car is a thing that takes you from one place to another back when we had places we were able to go. And there was a time when cars were something you cherished and something you thought about and dreamed of and and loved loved like like a cowboy loved his horse and the way these guys are talking about the v8 last of the v8s yeah. it's a v8 and, and you're like why did they stop making v8s if they were so great i'm sure they got lousy gas mileage or whatever but you know it's it's just so cool to see you know that back i, don't, I haven't loved a car since 1978 when we had a thunder a ford thunderbird and it was it was a thing of beauty and everything we've gotten since is just a utilitarian piece of junk that just gets me to places but there there was a time when cars no, you had need a personality v8. you need a v8 <laughs> i need a v8 I, I, interceptor. no one's gonna do the joke right i could have had a v8 anyway i could have had a v8 interceptor yeah um well yeah make you want to go out and get a real car in the 70s what this doesn't make you want to go out and get a real car when you see this and everything. But then you're like, what would you do with it? If you hit 72, the cops pull you over. <laughs> yeah. So there's no point in having it. It gets lousy mileage and, you know, that's bad for the environment. And, uh, I don't know, but these cars were so awesome. I mean, you had the muscle cars of the 70s and this was 79. So, yeah. you know, you had car culture. I remember I was never even a big car fan, but I, I used to get occasionally get Cartoon Magazine, which was a. It was it was a whole book of, a thing of comics about cars, and I was like, I didn't really care about cars, but I'd still get it. So, it sounds yeah. nonsensical now because, like, hey, look, everyone, get excited! It's the brand new Prius, and you look at it, it's like it's a shoebox, yeah, an aerodynamic shoebox. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you know. I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying. I wonder if if I'm assuming maybe car culture was as big in Australia as it was in the U.S. Um, in well, the '70s. I, I, with the cars. I was going to say. So, so, so George Miller apparently grew up in a town called Chinchilla, which is apparently like most towns in Australia in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Um, right. So he actually does talk about that being a huge influence on kind of him and his, his kind of creative force, uh, because apparently they were in the middle of nowhere and there was nothing to do. And if you were a kid and you came of age, basically what you did on, you know, on the weekend was you could get a car, you, you got out on the road and you tooled around with it. 
and obviously like there was probably a lot of racing and stuff uh he also mentions that he he knew at least a few people by the time he was a young adult had died in car wrecks but yeah so i i don't know if it was quite the same car culture but i think he had that affinity to mm-hmm. cars and and vehicles as a you know as kind of a a way of of kind of freeing yourself uh, which obviously as a kid is is super important and obviously uh you know they didn't have the budget you have the the, the v8 interceptor and then you have the other the the pursuit specials that the uh, the cops drive around but other than that i mean the only other car that really shows up here is the chevy that they kind of destroy and that's kind of like the the one kind of like standout vehicle and uh, apparently all the cars were kind of they were not actually you know they, they were basically they they took a kind of stock vehicle and made them look a lot cooler mm-hmm. than they were which you can kind of see i think in the in the scene where they're wrecking the chevy like the the things on the hood like just kind of fall over when someone's stomping on the on the on the hood so i think it's kind of obvious that yeah yeah. But uh, they obviously didn't have the budget. But then you go into, you know, the other films and you start having these like the cars become important characters in, you know, mm-hmm. the the villains have their their specific cars. And, uh, you know, Max always has his V8. And and the, the huge thing in Fury Road is, you know, how mad he is that they stole his V8. And now they're driving it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, anything else? Uh, I think the, the one other thing, uh, I think we mentioned it earlier, Brian May's score. I actually love it. It's a little over the top. It's okay. It's, it's a lot over the top, but uh, <laughs> it works. I think it's it's the fact that it's so, uh, it's some, you know, sometimes it's sweet and slow, but man, when, when he gets manic, like it just, it just pumps up. I don't know. I think, I think it's, I think it's a really great score. It's kind of corny. He's probably better known for, you know, his, he also did the the score for Road Warrior. Um, I think it's probably better known, but I don't know. I I like the I like the score. It felt it felt over the top for me. Now, if if this had been, if it had been the Road Warrior, it would have felt fine. It's just that this being, you know, a, a more grounded in reality kind of movie, it just seemed a little you know too much sometimes. But you know, I, I mean, I don't I don't dislike it, and and he, I love the, the score for Road Warrior, which I guess is basically the same thing, just with to me visuals that support it more yeah you know just my feeling i mean i think and maybe it's partially it, it it's there to to try to push it to that level because like you said they they wanted to do something bigger and grander and and couldn't so one yeah. way you kind of do that is you manipulate the audience with that's true with the the score what about uh yeah. renee and alan what do you guys think i agree um you know, it's funny, the score didn't really, it's one of those things I don't tend to notice unless it really is kind of, you know, a little grandiose. Um, I, I'm what, I am one of those people, I let it kind of affect me and I don't even realize it. Um, you know, I think he did fairly well from my perspective, just that I, there was only a couple of times that I did notice it, uh, that it really stood out, but I enjoyed it. It was good. And then circling back to the cars, uh, I appreciated that it didn't feel like movies today where every car you see is product placement. Uh, it was just yeah, a nice, yeah. good, yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing I love about even, you know, in, in Fury Road, like all, when they finally had a budget, like everything was custom built and there was no, yeah, there was no like, oh, it's, uh, you know, brought to you by GM. Yeah. 
<laughs> for me, the, the score, the only thing I really remember was when they were in the car chases. And, you know, it's Australian and it sounded kind of like ACDC there, Australian. So, and, you know, they were popular at the time, too. So, yeah, I, I like that part of the score. I don't remember anything of the score really outside of uh, the car, <laughs> the, the car chasing. That was yeah. the same for me. Yeah, it kind of that's when it stood out. I think that's kind of the most iconic, which is like that. Yeah. I think we can all agree, though, the best probably musical moment in the film is uh, is the sax. Um, <laughs> probably the, the most iconic scene of the entire movie. I still don't even remember the saxophone. <laughs> no. so the first that's the time you're introduced to his wife. Yeah. I had to pause it. I was so... Star- he sent me a Snapchat of it going, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is watch it again for the saxophone scene. There's actually a callback. <laughs> the only moment that I think is the, the least bit like funny in this like uh incidentally funny is when when Max is when he has like the the driving montage and uh and you get like a little bit of that sax in there. <laughs> it's like, he's like brooding and then there's like sax in the background and like oh yeah. I think the other thing that kind of stood out to me so and, and this kind of go part of this goes into the the series in general but yeah like the the two things uh that I think that people like misremember this movie or they have like a concept of this movie that's kind of like doesn't actually jive with what the movie is one is obviously I think we've we've talked about like you know it's not a post apocalyptic film but everyone, when people talk about Mad Max, I think usually they're talking about the Road Warrior, but they don't realize it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Doing a lot, like looking up, trying to do like research and stuff. And it's like, man, there there's so many places where you see people talking about Mad Max, but they're talking about it being apocalyptic. And it's it's really not. The other thing that I found really interesting is, you know, a lot of people talk about this movie as like uh, a revenge film. And it kind of is, but and, and I I think I'd actually remembered it as being like Mad Max going after the Spiker Gang because they kill his wife. But then rewatching it, it's like the re- that's totally not it until the, very it's the last end. twenty five yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, another thing, uh, just talking about like the overall, you know, the 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 writing and the I think the editing. Like, man, this movie is an hour and a half long, and it's. I feel like there's very little fat to it, which is yeah really impressive because, you know, these days you would have probably a lot more exposition, you know, probably a lot more like trying to establish the the relationship between him, him and his wife. But I think it works. Like, I feel like there's, I feel like there's not a lot of fat, but there's also not a lot I would add to this movie. Mm-hmm. But I do think things, some things are cut because, okay, does anyone have any idea who the dark one is? Yeah, do you remember the reference to the dark one when they're when they're at the this is right before his wife gets killed this is like at the when she's at the beach and running from the the biker gang and and mel runs off into max runs off into the woods with the gun and stuff like this and the older woman goes do you want me to call the dark one should i call the dark one she mentions it a couple yeah. times and there's oh. no other mention of it and it's like hmm. who the hell did i miss something is yeah who the hell's the dark one or all of a sudden is there like is there a whole like Lovecraftian subtext to Mad Max that I've missed? I don't, you know, I just don't quite understand. What was that in the subtitles? Yeah, she she says <laughs> she says out loud. It wasn't just she says, "Do you want me to call the dark one? I can call the dark one." When she has the gun and she's and and he's running off to look for the biker gang. So since I know so much about Mad Max, the dark yeah. one was um, 
he was a character, I guess, that didn't make it. He, but he was prominently featured in the original script for Mad Max. <laughs> oh, okay. Sounds almost like you're googling oh, it there, Alan. but if it's an answer, that's good. The fountain of knowledge. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it says that the dark one is Max's driving partner in the original script. But you know, that's uh, interesting, especially if you took a year to cut this. You would think that they uh, would, or maybe they just left it as like, ah, people will wonder who the dark one is. Yeah. Well, that that's actually like one of the things I love about this movie, though, is and really the whole series. You know, people. Uh, one of the biggest buzzwords these days is you know talking about world building, like oh, the world building and the world of building mm -hmm. Game of Thrones is amazing. But the the thing is, this movie actually does a more interesting job of world building than yeah. I think a lot of movies. It because it doesn't doesn't try doesn't to explain give everything. Yeah, yeah. So it almost feels like you know. It, yeah, but it's a, like, a reference to the Dark One. I don't think that was necessary. I think that was more just, oops, we left it in by accident. Yeah, I yeah, yeah probably. That wasn't like an intentional, we're going to keep it mysterious. Because it it would only be if the dark one was like, if that was just <laughs> a guy's nickname, like like Goose, right? Then it's, which apparently it was supposed to be. It's not, it wasn't really world building. It's more just, oh, yeah. Because otherwise it's like, yeah, is there a Lovecraftian element here? They don't do another take so they just left it in should i summon the dark one? Oh, so he's supposedly the one that hit the tree and bounced back with his face ripped off oh okay oh interesting mm. so there you are yeah. so little bits and pieces got left in there uh, little bits and then, and pieces yeah mm. uh, renee yeah. sent this i'm not uh, renee sent this to me so she's the one who should actually be reading it <laughs> what you're talking about <laughs> never seen that article before life <laughs> Okay, no, that's that's actually interesting. Yeah, like I said, I, I I had read that there was basically they had a huge script that they cut down for shooting, mm -hmm. and then they cut down, you know, even further for for the final cut. So it's uh it's kind of interesting that yeah, I, I imagine there's a lot of stuff in there that that got cut out. I I didn't catch that though. Uh, maybe because I didn't actually watch it with subtitles, and I probably thought oh. she was saying something mm -hmm. else with an accent. When I hear something in any movie that I don't understand like that, I just assume I missed something. Like, oh, I, <laughs> I was yeah. like, I was like, wait a second, uh, I don't remember the I dark was... one. No, well, I'm definitely going to write some Mad Max fan fiction with Lovecraft. So there's that's that's all. I mean, to they to be fair, they never like they talk about a great war, but they never explicitly state how things became so right. apocalyptic. So you know, did they mention that in this one? Or are you talking about? The, I thought that no, was no, no, in, in the Road Warrior. Yeah, yeah, in the Road Warrior, they're talking about like the gas wars. And yeah, stuff. yeah, but that's another movie. Yeah, well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I look forward to your fan fiction, Paul. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Next episode, you can read that live on the. Internet. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be slash fiction, by the way, too. So. Oh God. Just okay. Bye. <laughs> Max slash, you know, Nerlathotep. So. Oh my God. Any other thoughts on? Uh, I don't know. Direction, story. It's. I'm trying not to stray. I have a, a lot of thoughts, but a lot of them kind of stray into the relationship mm -hmm. between this movie and the and the sequel. So well, uh, one uh, thing that I I noticed was the I, I guess we'll just call it the lack of extras. And I I mean yeah. I wonder if that was budget or was that because of how the world was supposed to be. Mm. I'm thinking budget. Uh, probably probably a little from column A, a little from column B. Mm -hmm. Like the the fact that there aren't a lot of scenes that take place anywhere. Like there are some kind of extras in the town scenes when they when the bikers first show up in that one town, but yeah, I mean, other than that, there aren't really a lot of scenes with them. There are scenes. Oh yeah, my favorite. Uh, 
my favorite scene is is obviously when goose goes to the uh what is it like the the sugar loaf lounge or something like that there are extras the in that singer, scene. Yeah. yeah 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 oh yeah the, yeah that was bizarre the <laughs> that's probably the most crowded scene i was uh, it's also probably the most dated scene that's like the one move the, the one scene in the entire movie that really makes you right. say oh yeah this is a 70s movie <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean bill was talking earlier about like every time there's a like a bit character they're a, like a real character i don't know yeah that lady she's like yeah she freaked me out it's like she sort of <laughs> looked post post-apocalyptic it's like, but maybe oh, not. Maybe, uh, yeah, it was just, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I did. I liked her character. Lady? I actually looked her up earlier. No, the singer, the singer. You're talking oh, the singer, about the singer, right? Yeah. Now. yeah, yeah. She was a little spooky. With yeah, I don't know. There are also a lot of things that I'm like, well, is this, like, are they making this look like a post-apocalyptic film or, or, a, or a semi-apocalyptic film? Or is this just what, like, Australia looked like in the 70s? <laughs> I, uh, right. Like, <laughs> I no have no frame of reference. No, no, no offense at all. Look, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I was born and I grew up in the country, so I know like the country looks the same no matter what uh, you know country you go to. So there, there are a lot of scenes where I was like, oh, you know, is this is this just a con- small town country folk? Or it's also yeah. one of the only Australian movies I can think of that, or maybe I just watched too many documentaries where never once does it bring up the fact that everything in Australia is trying to kill you. Yeah, uh, yeah. That you know, true. there's no poisonous snakes. There's no uh, the spiders that can bite through your boots there's no jellyfish and blue ringed octopus and platypus killer uh, you know koala bears. killer koala bears just everything <laughs> not a kangaroo to be seen <laughs> i guess they tried i guess they left out the kangaroos that you could say oh yeah, yeah that was it's, probably it's in the longer arizona <laughs> the yeah. kangaroo death scene there is a is a uh, poisonous snake in uh, road warrior though it's uh the gyro captain's uh, security system that's right oh that's right yeah. Cool. Also, the the first of two films where Max has a dog that gets killed. Why'd you have to bring that up? I know. Yeah, it, nice. no, the one part of the film that really always gets to me is is the dog. Because uh, cute. I mean, wait, I did I miss the dog getting killed? When did the dog get killed? Yeah. Well, when you don't see it get killed? killed. It's in. There it's was uh, a when dog. She's... <laughs> it's not the baby. It just shows up and leaves again. Oh. That, that wasn't what no, was they... hanging from the tree. I thought that was just yeah. some rat or something. No, that was the dog. Yeah. That was the, uh, no. In oh. my head, it's a rat. Nope. Nope. Okay. I remember. Yeah, okay. I remember. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. It was a rat. I remember it hanging from the tree. It was not the oh, dog. Yeah. I no, no, no. Okay. Yeah. I do remember that. I don't remember the. Are you sure it wasn't dog. the? No, never mind. But I remember I was the baby. something hanging from the tree. We thought it was like a squirrel or something, or a badger. Yeah. Oh, my oh, head yeah. Head. oh God. God, if Australia had badgers, they would have taken over the world by yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. Jinx. Okay, we say, Man, yeah, in, in, in Mad Max and in, in Road Warrior, they're poisonous snakes. In Australia, they're just called snakes. Yeah, they're just called snake poisonous. Yeah. That, that, that goes without saying. Uh, anything else we want to talk about, just kind of overall in the, the production of the film, I guess, before we move on? I heard that in the beginning, Max was supposed to be a journalist and they couldn't <laughs> reconcile his family being killed. So they decided to make him a cop. Uh, Is, probably are you serious? One of the most, most best decisions in the history of screenwriting. Like, that, that, no, that's the best the decision in the history of, the of decisions. That's bizarre. <laughs> it's like all about him being a cop. That's so strange. Oh my God, yeah. a journalist. So would all of the cops have been journalists? Yes. In the, in the tagline a biker? Game. <laughs> hey, uh, listen. I gotta tell. You, I gotta be honest with you. I think I would have been rooting for the bikers. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
on that note you're welcome <laughs> yes. uh, no that's interesting I, like like i said i actually didn't do a ton of research into like the i i, I kind of want to see if i can find that because like some of these old scripts like surprisingly you can find them online so i'm like i want to see if i can find that and actually read it me too i mean so yeah. what was the premise YouTube, like i can send you a video if i can remember yeah yeah definitely was. What's the premise? They kill his family, so he writes a really harsh letter to the editor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I actually tried not to watch too many of these. Like, uh, I know that there are a lot of, like, Mad Max mega fans, and they have, like, a lot of good YouTube videos. I tried not to watch too many of them because I didn't want to in influence my thoughts too much. But uh, now mm. now that we're done with this. Yeah, I, I tried, yeah, and, too. Yeah. I, I tried not to watch too many as well. Yeah. I watched um, as many as I could. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, hey, you know what? Uh, uh, I think it's I think it's good to have different levels of, of preparation. I drank a lot of Foster's lager. <laughs> oh, I took notes. Uh, I'm just gonna say, uh, I used to know an Australian guy, and the, the, the fastest way to make him angry was to mention Foster's. So that's Australian for beer. Yeah, yeah. That would that would he would not be happy when you said that. Oh wow. um, anyways, so so uh, I think we are probably getting kind of towards the end here. I did want to, I don't know if anyone else will actually have anything, but I did want to throw this in because every every movie that's near and dear to my heart, there are always moments that kind of stand out to me. So I wanted to do a little little segment where we call out if there are any moments in the film that that really like stand out or that we particularly love. Does anyone, anyone have anything other than me? Well, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd say I, I love the moment because I'd sound like a psycho, but... <laughs> I mean, the, the whole scene where she gets run down is just such yeah. an iconic film shot sequence. And again, you don't see anything and yeah. but you know exactly what happened and you see them coming right up to her. And you see, I mean, it's the whole way it's shot. Granted, yes, she's dumb as a post for running down. the. I'm going to get out of the safety of the car and run down the middle of the road with these like, what the hell? <laughs> and the old lady fires and apparently like misses them completely, even though it's a shotgun. But I mean, yeah, she could have hit like somebody. Tried. Pardon? Yeah. She tried her best. She right. tried. Well, yeah, so, I mean, apparently I, I don't there has been research done that the way to, to the way to avoid getting hit by a car is to run straight down the road that it's on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I find oh, that research but, highly dubious. But like I said, I don't want to sound like a psycho as that's my favorite moment, but I think it's such an no, iconic moment and so no, yeah. well shot. No, it's, it, it's, it's terrific. That's wonderfully done. Yeah. The fact that you just see the uh, the shoe and the ball flying in the frame and nothing else as the as the bikers go by is great. Yeah. yeah. So, but that, that I'd call that my my precious moment. My <laughs> precious. Uh, does anyone else have anything? I like the I like when he uh, when he gives Johnny the boy the hacksaw. Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah, God. Yeah. And I feel like that's been ripped off a thousand times since. I mean, didn't didn't Ellen Moore do that in Watchmen too? Uh, I don't, I can't, I don't I thought, think so. I thought Rorschach, I like the, 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 when he has the flashback to the, the child murderer. I, yeah, I know what you're oh, talking about. Oh, perhaps, yeah, that does. I, ha I do Again, have one. Road other, I, I do have one other note I have, uh, that I'm going to, I'm going to do a name drop, but we'll get to that segment in a minute. Anyone else have anything? Mm -hmm. I, I know I, I have one and this is actually not necessarily because it's, it's a particularly good moment, but just because when I was a kid or a kid, a teenager, I would watch this movie a lot and my, I had a friend that also loved it. And the scene where he goes in to see uh, Goose and he comes out and, you know, Fifi's trying to stop him and he just turns around and he just goes, hey, man, that thing in there, that, that's not the yeah. goose. That's not the goose. And he just walks away. 
we used to kind of like riff on that. We would, we would often like repeat that line to each other uh, uh-huh. <laughs> randomly, but I actually think it's a, a pretty good line and a pretty good delivery. So yeah, I, I think that's probably one of mine. If I had to choose yeah, that one. is, that is good. Was good, but it was so sad. Made me yeah. feel bad okay. for the goose. Yeah. Like he's but like, again, hey the man. Still alive. It's still alive. He's like, I'm right here. Not You're getting, calling me a thing. Not getting into uh the other films, but they're, you know, they're due to the lack of of direct kind of a narrative between them. They're often there are a lot of kind of uh, theories about that. And you know, one of them is that obviously humongous, you see the back of his head and he got burned and you know, one of the theories is uh, Goose became the humongous. I don't believe mm-hmm. it, but whatever. Yeah, no, I'm I'm tumbling going with the uh, station master again. So that's <laughs> the station master. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, Renee or Alan, do you guys have have anything you want to call? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was going to mention the scene too, where everybody got run, you know run over. Yeah. But I just yeah. I've got scenes that are like stuck in my mind, but I don't have any that I would call precious moments. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I'm just going to speak for both of you and say it's uh, Jesse. <laughs> Jesse's sex scene. Well, oh, I, got, yeah. actually, I, I have one other. I have one other. And this is, it, it seems kind of, it, it's kind of crude, but I actually do love the fact that the first time you see uh, Roop, he is, he's like looking at the couple in the, in the, in yeah. the scope, like trying to have sex. And then they, like he, the Charlie honks the horn and then you see them running away. I don't know. That, that whole sequence is the only, you know, it's kind of funny because it's the only like actual nudity in the film. And it's just very kind of random and silly, but I don't know. Was there nudity? Because I looked really close and I couldn't see any. Uh, well, if you look through his oh. scope, there definitely was. There were some bare asses. I think no, that, they yeah. were naked. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah when they were running yeah, away, yeah, but I, like, yeah. In the, the the like while he was looking through the scope before they ran away, it's like, you know, it's like one of those things where they intentionally put like the arm in front of somebody so you oh, can't see yeah, it. Yeah. I was I, like, oh I my gosh! Know. And there's they hid all of it. How did they do that? Cool. I think uh, we want to probably wrap up with uh, talking about legacy and franchise. Uh, so obviously, I think we've honestly talked about fran- we've touched on the franchise. Yeah. Enough. We probably don't need to get into it. If we enjoyed talking about this movie, hopefully we can get together again and talk about yeah. subsequent films. I do. You, you were asking Bill about the other films or other things that are ripped off the ending. And I'm mm-hmm. curious. So, so like, I feel like the, obviously the road warrior had like a million imitators in the 80s i'm kind of curious what you're uh, you know if anyone has any thoughts on you know were there films or other media that this the, the first installment specifically influenced or do we feel like it, was, it wasn't really until the road warrior that people kind of started ripping off george miller i think it was the road warrior yeah yeah i, I really think it's the road warrior right. that oh, just just totally got yeah yeah, no, I, yeah, because I, I was trying to think, I was like, there are obviously a lot of like action car films in that era, but I can't think of anything that was like you draw a direct line to like, oh yeah, they obviously were trying to do Mad Max. Mm-hmm. So, so one thing I did find, and I, I this is a this is a podcast exclusive. Uh-oh. So yeah, uh, wait for it. So I was I was kind of trying to research and see if I could find any anyone's thoughts on this, and I did find a lot of places where it said that the end of Saw was influenced by or inspired by the end the last scene with the the hacksaw if you know what i'm talking about oh okay that. yeah i can see that so, so here's the thing here's the thing i i couldn't but i wanted to go and you know be a good journalist just like mad max was and to <laughs> find an actual quote because or them talking about this couldn't find anything anywhere so i actually contacted lee one l and by contact i mean i tweeted at him and asked him about this. He did not respond to my tweet, but he did like it. 
I yeah. up. He, so that I think that is, that is confirmation that uh, yeah, the end of Saw is is directly inspired by the end of Mad Max. So there you go. Well, that's cool. But we're talking um, the end of Saw, the first Saw where they he yeah. throws. Uh, yeah. He says the key yeah. is in that bathtub. Yeah. Or, and 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 the, yeah, he has to basically. I can't even remember. It's been a long time since I saw. I've seen Saw. I don't remember if they even show it, but yeah, the they're they're inferring that he has to cut off. Cut, cut, cut himself to to get out yeah and I, i'm i'm guessing you're never going to get anyone in hollywood if they're smart to ever admit they were influenced by anything because people sue at the drop of a hat and you know. yeah <laughs> fair enough fair enough Are you uh, for influence? i don't know about that i mean but yeah yeah i don't know uh, i just thought that was kind of funny and then the, the, i think the only other thing i have to say about the the kind of franchise it's kind of interesting because you know we were talking about George Miller said he didn't really know why this movie was successful. And uh, I have one more quote I wanted to read from the same interview um, where he says, in Japan, they called it a samurai movie and said, oh, you must know Kurosawa. I've never heard of Kurosawa. In France, they said, oh, it's a Western on wheels. In Scandinavia, they said, he's a Viking. And basically, I began to realize that somehow there was something else going on there. And that was the realization that there was a collective unconsciousness going on. So this is actually really interesting to me. Because I think, Bill, you mentioned like, you know, the evolution of the films after this and they kind of, mm-hmm. you know, they, they kind of have the hero's journey. And apparently this was kind of a, it was very interesting kind of uh, what I take it to be like this backwards inspiration where uh, supposedly after he came to this realization, he was trying to figure out why. And there are, I guess, a couple of different stories. Supposedly, maybe he was talking to George Lucas or maybe it was someone else. But basically, someone was like, hey, have you heard of, you know, A Hero with Thousand Faces or Joseph Campbell? Wow. And and that's when he actually started reading that stuff. And so the the first film, I don't think, and we were getting back to like you were talking about them trying to write a franchise. But a lot of the things that come into the later films where you talk about him as like an archetype and the hero's journey and stuff, I think it was oddly enough the incidental success of this film that put george miller who's obviously uh, an absolute genius and one of those people who again like he he gets an idea in his head and he has to you know follow it for the rest of his life it, it's almost mm-hmm. as if he was he get, got this idea in his head and he decided that that's what he was going to do in the subsequent films and that's kind of what this series became interesting yeah that's interesting though i i am shocked that he was a cinephile and had no idea who Kurosawa. Yeah, that that actually is the more shocking <laughs> again, thing to me. Again, again, this, this was this was a you know, and I you know who knows maybe he did know who Joseph Campbell was, but this is a, a interview from the mid two thousands, so it was also well after the fact. But you know, but yeah, well, I can I see know. not knowing Joseph Campbell, but not knowing Kurosawa. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, hey, maybe they didn't have uh, Kurosawa films in Australia. Uh, maybe so. not. Yeah. And then other than that, I wanted to to mention uh, in other media. Uh, it's kind of interesting to me that there have actually been two video games called Mad Max. There was a 1990 NES game, oddly enough, not based on Mad Max. It was based on the Road Warrior, as we said, mm-hmm. no one remembers Mad Max. And there was also a 2015 video game called Max, Mad Max, based on Fury Road. So again, hmm. uh, yeah, two two movie uh, two games called Mad Max, neither of which were based on the movie that you know popular culture has forgotten, but not really. Oh, wow. um, yeah, so. Uh, I don't know any any other thoughts on any of that stuff before we kind of wrap well, up here. There one one other thing talking about video games because yeah, it just it made me think of this. There was a game that I played when I was probably fourteen on the Commodore sixty four called The Last V eight, 
and I have no really? idea if that was based on the. Uh, oh, it must be right. Yeah. Well, it, it, it it's kind be. of interesting because I, I just looked it up. Oh wait, no. Yes, it, it says the title. Yeah, the title echoes a plot from the Mad Max series. Yeah. Um, there's, and there's no it was way. also published on a. Uh, it was put out by a uh, a company, and their the label they were using was MAD. It was like an acronym for something, but it also sort of ties oh. into Mad Max. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, a lot of things. There apparently there were a lot of games. There were actually a few other games that were going to be based on Mad Max properties. But yeah, I don't that, think this was based on it at all. I think they just sort of at the time. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Though. Yeah, cool. Anything else, or do we want to kind of wrap up and talk about kind of final thoughts? And I don't know. I thought we would maybe maybe rank this and see how everyone ultimately actually feels about the movie. Yeah. Well, how do we yeah, feel yeah. about the movie? I don't know. Uh, let's let's <laughs> do we want to do just like ratings and. And kind of give our our finer final sign off. Is that yeah, to good. you guys? Uh, yeah. What, what, how are we rating rating it within the series? Well, I guess we can't really within the series because yeah, I think we're just rating work. it. We're, I think we're just rating it as a film, as a standalone film. Um, Do we have like a, a scale? We're gonna pretend. So we're gonna pretend that uh, we're we're still. I want to do the. You know, we're in the video store here. So let's say out of five VHS tapes. Uh, how many how many VHS tapes would you would you give this film? Let's start with Paul. Yeah, can we do half VHS? Can we do half a tape? Uh, uh, I was gonna no no hold on. I was gonna say uh, you can do a full uh, uh, a rewound VHS tape or you can do an unrewound VHS tape, which is oh, half that's getting too confusing yeah. to me there. Yeah, nope, nope. That's for <laughs> you can do you can do half VHS tapes, Paul. Oh, okay, but actually, I'd probably give it. I'd probably give it four VHS tapes. I mean, it's because I think three would be too little, and three and a half not quite yeah. enough. And so four, or you know, maybe three point seven six five. Wow, two, nine. Just repeating. stop. You're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> okay. VHS tapes. I mean, it's it's really good. It definitely it's more because it's it you because we know where it goes. I mean, it it was yeah. it's it's a fun. Uh, exploitation film. You can watch it just on its uh, own. Excuse me. Sorry. Ozploitation. Ozploitation. Uh, well, yeah. exploitation is, is a subset of exploitation. All yeah, exploitation films are exploitation really, films, so it is correct. Yeah. You know, okay, but, fair enough. Whatever. Sorry. <laughs> Ozploitation films. And, uh, it's, a real, it's a real term. Look it up. No, I believe you. I know, because there's, there's like documentaries and stuff. And anyway, yeah. um, so anyway, yeah, it's it's a fun exploitation film, and again, it's the the growth you see of it, and I think it's better than it than it uh, has a right to be for the, the 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 amount of cash that was you know that cost. I mean, it, it it's it it goes far beyond its budget. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and cool. you know, I'd like to see some more of these films. I think some more of them might be good. I mean, he Miller's been talking about making another one for years, but uh, I don't think he's going to make it in Hollywood. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'd like to see what he'd do with talking pigs. So that's one really shot bad. pony. <laughs> yeah, or talking penguins. Yeah, um, that's true. Uh, Renee, how about you? <laughs> uh, um, I rewound enough that I wouldn't get charged a fee, but not <laughs> all the way to the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I. Uh, I enjoy, you know, I'm going to give it a solid for it. It's it, it's not my favorite of the series, but I think it really, it lays a good, it's a good solid foundation, I think, to what happens in the future. Um, so I, yeah, I'm going to give it a solid four. Cool. Uh, Alan, with no context whatsoever for the rest of the series, uh, how would, what, yeah, what do you think? Un- unfortunately, I give it a one and a half. 
Wow. Okay, so we found um, our French judge here. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I knew, I knew that you guys wouldn't, wouldn't like that, but to me, oh. okay, this film, I think, is in a category of a lot of films where people say, oh my gosh, you haven't seen that? You gotta see it. It's so great. And I think that it, I think a lot of these films, for me at least, they are built up to be more than they are, and me not have seen have seen any of the other ones. I mean, yeah, I did. I didn't think this. I mean, I I saw nothing special about this film. Um, I mean, based on this film, if if I didn't know anything else, I wouldn't watch the second one. I would oh, I would watch oh. something else. That's actually kind of cool. That's why it's I hate to be the guy that does that, but no. I think I'm gonna be like that. Yeah, yeah. All, all the no, but that's, that's, that's good. I mean, that's where you get like a yeah. fresh perspective. We don't, you don't have, Definitely. you don't have nostalgia. This is how I feel about this is how I feel about a Serbian film. You've talked about oh, it so God. much, that I, I, I can't We're believe that it will live up to its You praise. had to bring it up. No, but the, the other really? thing about this film and and a lot of films like this, where I, I like give a low rating, where some people they like they think that they're a lot better than I do. I think this film would have probably been a lot better, you know, for me in 1980. Than it is, you know, in 2020. Mm. Um, but hey, we I can't I can't rewind time. I can only rewind my VHS so, tapes. So you're saying in 1980 you had a lick of common sense, but now we gotta <laughs> we gotta deal with you <laughs> as you are. In your old age, it's he's coming at it without any nostalgia, with no no knowledge of what the rest of the series is, and he, he might not yeah. like the rest of the series either, which yeah. I think. I think it's. I'm really glad that we've got someone like right. Alan. Well, no, so, and, and actually, I'm. I'm. I'm yeah. actually um, very invigorated to watch the next one because, you know, like I said, based on this, I wouldn't watch the next one. But from what you guys have told me, and oh. this doesn't happen much, the sequel is better than the original. So, oh, yes. you know, that's. I mean, that's. Uh, that's that's great. No, fair gonna, yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say right now that everyone here is contractually obligated to do at least four episodes because right. I want to go through the whole series now with Alan and see how his <laughs> right. changes. And if we get to, you know, Fury Road and he's still giving it one and a half oh, feet. Then fists will be flying. We will, yeah. you know, never speak to you again. Anymore. That's fine. Yeah. You know, I've, I've lost friendships over less. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, but thank you. No, that's that's good. I, I do like having someone who's uh, the sure. you know contrarian. Uh, Bill, how about Every you? Party needs a pooper. That's why we invited you. Uh, <laughs> I can tell that Bill stop. does not agree with my analysis. No, it's it's a four. <laughs> it's a four, and, yep. and the only reason I don't give it a five is that there'd be nothing left for Road Warrior and Fury Road. I mean, you right. know, which are are better films because they're two of the best films ever made. So, you know, I know how you didn't mention Thunderdome in there either. I mean, Thunderdome. <laughs> Thunderdome. We'll, was we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's a 4.127 something, you know, it's, you know, it's Thunderdome has the, the disadvantage of coming after the road warrior and basically trying to be the road warrior. And, and, you know, with with a couple more bells and whistles. I, I, anyway, yeah, we'll get to that. No, point. I, yeah. I I can't wait for that episode because I feel like I will be probably the contrarian there, but uh, we'll, we'll see. No, you think um, it's the best? Uh, I don't think it's the best. I have a I adore it for certain. Um, there we'll get to that one. Get to it because yeah, we'll get to we'll cross yeah, that. Ideas on that. I mean, one. I give it a four, but I'm giving I'm giving it a four in the sense that 
it's of you know I, I judge every film in its context you know like i don't go to a low budget horror movie judging it the way i would a marvel movie if i give a, a four to a low budget horror movie and a four to a marvel movie clearly the, the you know doctor strange is a better movie than some low budget zombie movie most likely but i take it within its own you know in its little genre it's this is as good as it gets and it, it within the constraints that they had and everything so i'm looking at this as a very low budget 300,000 ain't much and it wasn't much even back then ozploitation movie i thought they got <laughs> a lot out of it see i notice how i did it right yes. um well someone's uh, getting invited back that's right um, <laughs> you know it shows it shows a young filmmaker who is knocking it out of the park which most first time filmmakers don't do um you know he's got that young energy and he yes he got better he got better and he's still showing us things that we haven't seen before so you know he he should go down he will be remembered as i think one of the great filmmakers of our time he hasn't really made a lot of movies when you look at the whole list how many feature films he's made and he took that weird little detour to making happy feet which are fine movies but Split i feel fair. like yeah I also made that, a shit ton of money Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I take nothing from it. It's just I feel like I feel like if that had been made by anyone on Pixar's payroll, they would have been pretty much as good. And and I may be wrong about that, that I feel like, you know, animated movies, I, you know, the director of an animated movie. You know, I, I, I'd be interested to know exactly how that how that happens, how you direct and everything. What's the what's the process to doing that i mean it almost feels more like the editor is the director you you tell the animator I, you know it, it's complicated but you know and, and they're they're great movies but i i just feel like i i kind of wish i'd seen some more george miller doing a few other things he did the he did the witches of eastwick didn't he um and, uh, and, i think he did yeah oh, wow. and lorenzo's that, oil lorenzo's i mean oil uh babe yeah. two yeah babe no, two he... babe two which i don't like as much <laughs> as babe one quite frankly I, I like yeah. Babe better than Babe Two. It's it's yeah, a Babe great, Two is a completely different movie. It's it's yeah. It's, it's I just yeah. don't think it has. A, it's it's a it's a beautifully made movie, and he gets a lot out of it. I mean, he works some magic there, but I don't think it has the pure story that Babe did. So, but back to Mad Max. Um, I was gonna say, how many how many VHS tapes are you giving Babe Two? Right, right. right. <laughs> oh, I don't. No, know. no. I, I think it's I think it's interesting too. Uh, I don't. Let's, I'd have to see it again. I only can, I've only seen it once. We could probably do an entire, uh, probably an entire episode on the unmade films of George Miller because uh, uh, he has a lot of unmade. You know, oh, originally oh, wasn't he supposed to do Justice League Dark? Dark? Yep. Oh, yep. Oh, <laughs> watch, oh. watch, watch Fury Road and imagine what Justice League would have looked like from that director no. and what we got, and go cry yourself to sleep. Yeah, I'm um, kidding. Yeah. Also, wow. also took him. We'll we'll talk about it when we get to that episode. But Fury Road, which took him like 15 years to make. So a four for me and a, a good movie and anyone who hasn't seen it should should check it out. It's available and, and on anyone uh, who has seen it and doesn't like it is wrong. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Alan. Alan. I've seen kidding. it now. <laughs> I respect your opinion, Alan. I may disagree, but I respect well, it. One of us does. So <laughs> I, I I I ranked all these movies beforehand and uh and I think that yeah, this one is definitely a four for me. There are definitely a lot of rough edges. I'm, you know, it's not a perfect movie, but it's 
it there there you know any any deficiencies it has you can overlook due to st- so many so many amazing qualities from such a like just raw kind of cast or a raw crew and the cast and i don't know i i think it's pretty amazing like you said bill for a first film and uh i'm not even grading on a scale there because i think it still holds up against uh mm-hmm. you know some of the some of the films some of the films made in that era and even just action films in general um so yeah i'm gonna say i'm gonna say it's a four a four vhs or is there is there another biker slash car race movie that's even in in its league in terms of the quality or the success in just terms of just being a good movie so I'm going to catch a lot of shit for this. I will say I thoroughly enjoy the Fast and Furious franchise, but on a different level than this sure. franchise. Oh, as a popcorn movie franchise, they're great. I mean, you yeah. Know, screw you, laws of physics, but, but they're, <laughs> great. No, they're super fun. They're yeah. super fun. Yeah. Uh, but right. no, I, I don't think, uh, I'm trying to think now, like, yeah, I, I don't think that there's another, yeah, I don't think there's another like car franchise. Obviously there are other like standalones, you know, there's like Gone in 60 Seconds and, but yeah, there's nothing like, I mean that, and that's the thing too, right? There's there is literally nothing like this franchise. There are a lot of imitators. There are a lot of the a lot of sources he pulls from, and a lot of sources that pull from him. But there is absolutely nothing that even really comes close to like the the you know what George Miller makes when he finally gets his vision on screen. Cool. So yeah. well, that's the I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna sum it up. I'm gonna sum it up, yeah. and uh, it's it's rounding up. It's a uh, it's that's a uh, average of three which I think is still respectable, uh, brought far, far down by one of our votes, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. By the way, folks, you could have watched the movie twice and the time it's taken us to talk about it. <laughs> well, yeah, well, uh, hopefully this, this uh, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get an even two hours out of this and it won't run much longer, uh, but we'll see. And, uh, you know, if anyone's actually listening to this in the future, uh, thanks for listening. Yeah. This is obviously our first episode. Hope you enjoyed it. As of this recording, we don't actually have a name for the podcast. So I don't have a website or any social account. <laughs> but hey, uh, I'll probably tack something onto the end of this before I post it, telling you. I thought we were uh, going with the Paul Cardulo experience. <laughs> no, because I, I was brought uh, to mind. I, I, that was again. That was a that was a, a Hendrix reference, not a Joe Rogan uh, reference. Uh-huh. And once I heard Joe Rogan had already done that gag, I just like for burn it up. Uh, <laughs> anyways, Joe uh, Rogan no. ruins everything, man. Uh, you're Sorry. not wrong. Uh, but yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll probably tag something on the end of this, letting you know how to get in contact with us. You can tell us what you liked, what you didn't like. Uh, and hopefully we're going to get a bunch of letters saying I didn't like all the uh, trashing of Joe Rogan. <laughs> you, you know what? Hey, episode, at least we're starting notice. a feud with a guy with 12 million followers. I, Smooth I, I liked him in talk ra- news radio. I thought he was a good, did a good oh, job. Love, in that love show. news radio. Yeah. Love yeah. news radio. Uh, you're, 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 you're kidding, but you're not wrong. There's, there, uh, there's a podcast I listen to. They do like three hour episodes. And if they say one thing, it's like political. That's the, the reviews they get will be the one star. Right. Oh, they get political. So yeah. Um, <laughs> Hey, look, if, if you're, if you're out there listening before you give us a rating, love Joe Rogan on news radio. Oh, uh, love his character. Mm. Haven't heard his show, so I can't, I can't say anything about it, but, uh, uh, if you want to get in contact with pa- Paul Cardinal, uh, his name <laughs> <again>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I've never yeah. I've never listened to a show. It was simply you know he had already stolen the name. That's all. Yeah. No. Fair enough. No, fair enough. He's uh, he's obviously uh, obviously a genius at marketing. Then so cool. Well, uh, I think that's it. Thank you guys so much. I know we're not we don't really have any professional 
pot well i guess actually bill do you want to plug anything bill before we go where can people find more of your uh, witty and more of my witticisms uh yeah. decades of horror at gruesomemagazine.com we have uh we do different decades and i'm on both the 70s and the 80s decades the 70s because i'm old enough to have actually gone to the movie theater to watch <laughs> movies these movies in the 70s and we we just pick a film and talk about it for about an hour and it's it's great cast great bunch of people on the podcast a lot of fun and uh we just we all just love movies but i like this i like the uh i like the vibe here you know the oh, personalities good. and everything yeah everybody brings something to uh to the table alan is wrong for Even example that's <laughs> good to have that no i love it i love having i love having you you know it's so often that i find myself being the contrarian so honestly alan i i uh, thank you for your service yeah, I thought everybody was going to agree with me. You know? <laughs> wow. Yeah, that yeah, just shows right. the world, like, the delusional <laughs> bubble you live in. That's why I said, hey, Alan, let's do a three-hour podcast about this movie because I hate it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think we will have some of those. Though, no, that's that. Jerry Chandler. That's what he'll do to you. It's like, yeah, let's <laughs> talk for three hours about the Loch Ness horror or something. And, yeah. Uh, well, does anyone else have any other uh, any other projects or anything they want to plug before we leave or or anything else? Chirp, chirp, chirp. No, cool. Still working well, on my one man show. Once we get that great. done, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep people posted. Well, there were a lot of cars used in Mad Max, and in two weeks we'll be talking about even more used cars when we discuss Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gill's used cars. In the meantime, if you like what you heard, please give us a five VHS. Uh, I mean, a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice. And uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, drop us a line at videostorejunkies.com or you can hit us up uh, on Twitter at videojunkiespod. Good night. It's been a blast. Bye. Bye. And we do have a bit of an unfortunate postscript to this episode. Due to delays in getting the podcast off the ground, we actually recorded this well before it's going live. So in the interim, QK's burn did pass away at the beginning of December 2020. He was a great actor. We loved him in Mad Max, obviously. And I can guarantee you we're going to have a lot more to say about him when we get to Fury Road. In my opinion, he was probably one of the all-time great movie villains, and he will be missed. He made the news again. Just another glory roader, I guess. Toe Cutter is a glory roader, one of the most sadistic. Anything I say, anything you say, what a wonderful philosophy you have. Take him away. <gasps> I want my baby. You've not got a sense of humor. Please don't hurt my baby. You've got a pretty face, though. Both want the other dead. But only one can have his way. Mad Max. You don't want to make Max mad. Because when Max gets mad, he gets even. American International presents Mad Max, the maximum force of the future.